0: Welcome to Tuesday night's um, Doctrine of Christ Zoom. We are going to be discussing how we can decode and restore Second Nephi to its original context and form. Believe it or not, it's currently not in that form. So uh, the title is Decoding Second Nephi, and the whole purpose of decoding Second Nephi is to restore it to its original context and form. So if you haven't considered um, as you read, Second Nephi, you know, what is it, what's it about? If the first thing that comes to your mind is not Isaiah, 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 then that's the problem. So uh, this all started because I, I would read uh, this portion of the scriptures and who, <laughs> you know, um, that has this book doesn't skip through, right? We we all skip all the messianic text and the Isaiah, this and Isaiah, that, and, and, Second Nephi is, you know, ninety percent Isaiah. But if you ask, you know, an average Latter-day Saint, um, anyone who reads the Book of Mormon, what the Nephi books are about, they'd say, "Oh, it's this awesome prophet who goes through these knees experiences and you know wrote down this information for us." Well, the reality is that what we're trying to understand from this meeting, what I what I hope everyone walks away from this meeting realizing is that that is not what nephi desires if you truly read this you see that he desires more than anything for us to study isaiah for us to know isaiah for us to incorporate isaiah to the extent that we then read his words and we understand what he's truly prophesying about and trying to teach us and warn us of um, if, if any of you genuinely ask yourself and me, even a few months ago, if I'd asked myself, have I really studied Isaiah? You know, I've read it, I've made the effort to go in and, and look through it. It's, it's really a struggle to to get through, let's be honest. Um, and so a lot of people either skip the chapters or they read through them really quickly. And it's, it's just crazy. And so uh, a few weeks ago I was praying about it and I've had several areas of second Nephi that I would get to that referenced Isaiah. And I just was so bothered that I didn't understand it. And I just started really praying and focusing on it. And I believe that the Lord um, is, is honest and when he says, if you seek, you shall receive, if you knock, it shall be opened. And so I really started focusing and, and asking the Lord to make these things plain to me. Nephi says that they're plain, that the words of Isaiah are plain and they were not plain to me. So if you've ever felt that way, this, it's impossible to go through everything that Isaiah has and to even begin to scratch the surface. So that's not what the purpose of this, what the purpose of this Zoom call is, is to hopefully ignite in you a desire to study Isaiah on a much deeper level and to hopefully give you some of the tools to do that. This is not to teach. Honestly, it's not to teach anything because whenever we're spoon taught or spoon fed, you know, spoon taught, um, we're not learning anything in, in reality. We, we learn the most when we study it ourselves, when we go to the Lord, we ask questions, we get inspiration from the Holy spirit, and then we're able to be changed. Our hearts are changed in, the, in those instances. And we have a testimony of those things and everything experience that we have on this earth is meant to get us to go to the Lord because we're preparing to meet him, preparing, preparing to come into his presence, to know him. So anytime we're being given something, um, we need to go then take it and go study on our own and come to know it for ourselves. So I do not expect to really teach on any level right now. I expect to ignite though, hopefully a desire for each of you to know this for yourselves. Um, and one of the things that, that began, this was, I was going through, um, I have one of the original Book of Mormons here and my husband got it from for Christmas a couple years ago. And I was bothered because as I go through, I started realizing that there are several chapters that don't match up with the chapters in our modern Book of Mormon. And, and of course, the most people who have been saying this forever already know that, that this stuff. I you mean it yourself again. Sorry, I went chapter by chapter in our modern Book of Mormon, and then the original Book of Mormon, the original text text that Joseph Smith um, laid out for us, and um, there were a bunch of changes made. And I found all the changes, and then of course after I did all that legwork, um, I saw that some lots of people have already done it online. So don't necessarily go through and do it yourself. You can find it online. Um, But what happened is Orson Pratt wanted to make the Book of Mormon easier to read. So in case you haven't seen. it's, it was like a book. It was a straight narrative. There weren't verses. Uh, it was, um, the chapters are much longer. They're originally 15 chapters and now there's 33. And I'm going, okay, if this book is correct and this book has all these important facets of it, why is it being changed? And does the changing of it change the way we, we experience it and, and our understanding of it? Uh, Orson Pratt said here, let's see. Um, One of his biggest and lasting contributions, probably as editor in the 1879 edition of the Book of Mormon, three decades earlier, he had been responsible for helping prepare the important 1849 edition. So in the 1879 edition, he made the most extensive format changes. To that point, he made smaller chapters. So he divided our chapters up. Um, He divided larger books. He numbered the verses. He added extensive references, including biblical citations and cross references, and his own footnotes and explanations. Um, What's interesting about that is if you have someone that sat down and they're telling you something, so if I'm going to tell my kid that I have a really important place I want him to go, and I start giving him directions, and I say, okay, go to the stop sign, make a left, go all the way down that till it tees, and you'll see a large tree. And then I stop talking and I walk away. Like my son's going to think, okay, the big tree is the most important place you're supposed to go. And then maybe the next day i pick up and I go, hey, um, you're going to see a swing set. Go past the swing set, turn right, and you'll be at a grocery store. Now, my whole purpose was to get him to the grocery store, stopping my conversation with him and not telling him the whole point of it, you know, at the end, uh, in the middle of it, is going to leave him very confused. And, and that's what this has done to so many readers of the Book of Mormon. You've got an entire scenario laid out by Nephi where he's quoting Isaiah or he's explaining things. And then you have those cut up and chopped up into a whole bunch of little bits and pieces and portions to where most people read one chapter and they stop. No wonder it's so hard to navigate this text. Um, One of the people, see, I will share this screen real quick just to give you, uh, this is what, some of the um changes looked like you guys see that okay um so this was the original book he changed the chapter headings um he changed the uh a lot of the the uh introductions and put in his own So the original chapter divisions, however, were apparently devised by the original authors. So you've got Nephi, Jacob, Mormon, and Moroni. They wrote the original chapter headings. They were included in the gold plates themselves. Royal Skousen, who's the one that's going to be explaining some things here for us. Royal Skousen is by far the foremost expert on this. And he said, evidence from both the original and printer's manuscript shows that Joseph Smith apparently saw some visual indications of the end of a section. And saw that the section was ending. So he, he knew when the chapter breaks were. Okay. So because he knew when the chapter breaks were, he organized the chapters accordingly. So readers get fatigued. This is Royal Scouts saying this, um, when reading two column texts that frequently break in the middle of words or in the middle of phrases and clauses, a process that puts a lot of stress on the reader and trying to negotiate the text. Um, by doing this, you're reading really extensive, difficult chapters like Isaiah, and you're reading it completely out of context. You're reading it um, not understanding who he's talking about, what, where he's going with the information. You're trying to get someone to the grocery store, and you're constantly stopping, and you're constantly you know, starting in different areas, and they have really no clue where you're going with the information. So getting back to this original um, layout was the first big clue for me that something was different here, that one of the reasons I was having such a hard time comprehending what Nephi was trying to tell us through Isaiah was, I needed to read it the way it was originally formed. Um, let's see, you know, if it was if it was the way that Mormon wanted it, you know, ordered it, and the way Joseph translated it, you know, why are we changing it? It just didn't make sense. Um, some of those, uh, let's see, of the 115 original chapter breaks, nine of those cases, he ignored ignored the original break when arranging the new chapters and added chapter breaks in the middle of chapters too one of the biggest ones that he did that to was third nephi and we know what happens in third nephi that's where christ is talking that's pretty important so lots of changes third nephi especially during christ's sermons on the second day of his visit i'm gonna show you another layout real quick here that and, and this is all just to lead in to start explaining to you what i was able to find so this, if you can see this, um, these are the original numbered chapters, and then you have the number of modern chapters, okay? And now it's really small. A lot of these things I can share on the Doctrine of Christ website, um, but you've got 1st Nephi, 2nd uh, Nephi. So in 2nd Nephi, you had 15 chapters originally. Now you have 33. Big difference, okay? Um, and you can go all the way down there through the end. So originally, there was 115 chapters. So you have double, you know, um, that's huge. You have so many breaks and so many changes made in a conversation or an idea or, uh, the paradigm changes so much when you do that. So just want to really clarify that, 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 that this has to be taken in a certain way. So what I did, the next thing I did is I was praying about this and I was like, okay, what do I do with this information? And that was interesting because he told me to make a timeline I was going I can't make a timeline I'm not capable of that this is so hard this is so all over the place um but I I did my best um so let me share what I have here for a timeline real quick uh So what you see here is you've got one through 33, okay? And then you've got the little bubbles at the top show which ones encompass each chapter. So you've got chapter one, originally had chapters one and two. Then you have two, three, four, see those. And chapter five, the original book, um, encompassed six, seven, and eight. Chapters nine and 10 were individual. And then here from chapters 11 through 15, that was chapter eight. You know, we can go through there. So the pink is Isaiah chapters. Now there's more Isaiah in here than this. I actually, I, I was going through and comparing every single Isaiah verse or quote in the book of Mormon, the entire book of Mormon. And I have over a hundred pages in a PDF. So it's very extensive. So this is not absolutely everything, but it is very extensive. Um, So if you go through here and you're, you're looking at these center ones, you see that 11 through 24 is the main bulk of Isaiah. It's right in the center. Now, remember chiasmus, how um, everything turns inward. That's, that's how uh, the, the Hebrew form of um, teaching. So everything is here in the middle. And then you have some Isaiah over here on the left side, six, seven, eight, and then you have Nephi and Jacob explaining the purple is when they explain and then go into their own prophecies based off of the Isaiah. So very interesting now, this isn't in really detail. This is something I made real quick. Um, but now, if you read something in context, knowing, okay, chapters 11 through 15 all go together. Chapters 16 through 22 all go together. It's the same um, map telling me how to get to the grocery store, okay? That's how they're meant to be read. And that's how the understanding is meant to, um, or, or how the Nephi was trying to teach those principles. They were all supposed to be together. We weren't supposed to be any breaks. Um, 10 or 23 and 24, which were originally chapter 10. Then what's really interesting, you got 11 through there. So I'm, we're going to go into all these, but this is just, this is the layout originally of how things were supposed to be. Okay. So now let me just click back in. Okay. So we're commanded to study Isaiah, um, if you have uh, ever gone into the Isaiah Institute, Isaiah Explained by Abraham Giliadi, if you have a c- computer, I suggest you open it up and go to IsaiahExplained.com, and you can follow along. Because we're going to pull a whole bunch from that, and it's really going to help you if you can see it. Um, if and if Dustin or someone's listening, they can just put a link in the chat. But Isaiah um, Abraham Giliadi is a formal scholar on proper translations of. Um, that have been, you know, messed up through the King James Bible. So it's the most correct translations that we have of Isaiah. And then an also in-depth understanding of the culture, the history, what certain things mean and why they're said that way to really help us understand Isaiah and and what um, the purpose of Isaiah is. Uh, Let's see. So I wasn't studying Isaiah the way I'm commanded to in the scriptures. We've got third Nephi twenty eleven. It says, Ye remember that I spake unto you and said that when the words that the words of Isaiah should be fulfilled, behold, they are written, ye have them before you, therefore search them. So this is Christ in third Nephi. And then in verse 23, one he says, And now behold, I say unto you that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently, for great are the words of Isaiah. For surely he spake as touching all things concerning my people, which are the house of Israel. So Christ himself not only quotes extensively from Isaiah, but he says to search them because the words that he talks about are so great and they touch on everyone. And basically, if you're not studying this in depth, then you're not being obedient to Christ. That's kind of a big deal. We don't really look at it that way, um, but that, that's what's happening here. We need to review Isaiah passages before we can decipher what Nephi is truly trying to do here. Um, Nephi puts so much of Isaiah into the scriptures that if you're reading just Nephi, it makes no sense. So some of the quotes and things that he says, we have our own understanding as a culture of what we've taken to twist Isaiah to mean certain things. And so what I want you to do is be willing to let go of all of that, be willing to let go of whatever you know about second Nephi and Isaiah. Because once we go through Isaiah, you're going to see the word patterns and the usage of certain images and ideas that Nephi then uses over here. And it's no question what Nephi is saying and what Nephi is doing, but it's almost the complete opposite of how we accept what Nephi is teaching and talking about. So um, Nephi's whole purpose is to take Isaiah, to expound it to us, and then to use his prophecies to support him. Um, to use Isaiah's prophecies to then support his own prophecies, um, specifically to us. So Isaiah's prophecies are for all of us, for the whole world and for, you know, the, the latter day people in the end times. Isaiah, in case you've never read Isaiah, Isaiah 1 through 66, all it is is end time prophecy. All he says is in the latter days, in the end, in the, in, you know, when the great destruction comes, the judgment, all of this, all it has to do with is the end times is today because today is the last days. Today is the end times. So all of Isaiah talks about that. Nephi takes Isaiah and focuses on, on the readers that will be reading the Book of Mormon. Those people who will be reading the Book of Mormon need to know those sections that I highlighted in pink more than anything. Those are so important. And, and what do we do as a people? We skip over it because we don't understand. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Nephi's whole purpose—he would be so mad if we talked about First and Second Nephi and we went, "It's this really great guy who gets on a boat and he, he has trust the Lord and he gets the plates and he gets married." Oh my goodness, he would be rolling over in his grave. His whole purpose of his of saying anything about his life is just to simply say, "Here's a backdrop for who I am and what happens when you apply the doctrine of Christ." But it's all—I'm just here to teach Isaiah. So that you know what's going to happen and you're prepared to come to Christ. That's the whole purpose of my life. And, and, and hopefully if you're, if you take my message and you hear it and you do what you're supposed to do, you can then turn and teach other people because that's the purpose of, of his life. And he's so worried about other people, especially his generations further down, not having the truth. So he wants people who get this scripture, those who are reading to then go, oh my goodness, this is what's going on. I'm going to turn around and give this information to others. So that's a focus of his message. Um, one thing I want to say really quick before we really dive into starting reading some of the Isaiah chapters is what can we learn from Jews of old and how they misinterpreted things. And even the prophecies of Jesus Christ, everything is cyclical. Everything repeats itself. Everything has patterns and parallels. Christ and heavenly father, they're the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means that they teach through um, previous lessons. They're, they're wonderful parents. They keep giving you the same thing over and over and over again, and hopefully you figure it out. So look for a second, just in your mind, just think about what are some of the things that early Jews messed up? You know, I unfortunately, we look down on them really badly, so this shouldn't be a really hard exercise, but um, first off top of your head, well, wow, they totally messed up you know what they're doing in the temple, they thought that that saved them when they totally missed the whole purpose of coming to Christ. Um, they were so stuck on their Pharisees and Sadducees telling them what to do that they didn't believe prophets that were coming from all other angles coming and teaching them what to do, you know, <laughs> to look to Christ, you know, these, these, these foreign concepts and they're taking scriptures and twisting them, you know. So, no, I'm just going to go to my church and go to my um temple. And do what I'm told there. I'm not going to listen to these crazies that are out in the woodwork telling us to do strange things. And then the third thing is they had this idea of what was going to happen when Christ came. They had this idea that Christ was going to come and he was going to, based off the scripture, they were doctrinally sound. Remember that. They were doctrinally sound, but they misinterpreted the doctrine. They believed Christ was going to come. His kingdom was going to rule. He was going to free them from, from from their the Romans. Um, they He was going to sit down on the on the throne, he was going to be the savior of everyone, save, 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 Jesus, the Messiah, um, King David, all of these things. So they were doctrinally sound, but they completely misunderstood because they did not read the scriptures and then go to the Lord. Instead, they read the scriptures somewhat, and then they listened to what other people told them the scriptures meant, and that was good. They were spoon-fed. There was no relationship with, with Heavenly Father Jesus Christ, no listening to the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind, Because that's going to happen again. What we think Zion is, or what we think um, have been taught, you know, either growing up LDS or even non-denominational Christian, what you think is going to happen, most likely is probably not it. If it's what the majority of the world thinks, the majority of a tradition or a group of people think, there's a good chance you're probably wrong. So whatever you think it's going to be like when Christ comes or how Zion comes about, be willing to let go of that. Be willing to have the spirit teach you new things and let go of those traditions. And Nephi gives us certain keys to help us understand this. I'm just going to run through these real quick. So first, he says, you need to know the manner of prophesying among the Jews. Abraham Gileadi is incredible for that, because um, no one understands <laughs> the writing of the Jews. save Nephi says, save those that are taught after that manner. So I don't know about you, but I didn't study any kind of Hebrew philosophy or culture or anything. Um, and so, this website, Isaiah explained, has been huge for helping so many people understand the culture and the understanding of the prophesying of the Jews. Um, then, Nephi also says, you know, you can't be following after darkness or wickedness. So the Spirit's not going to guide you. Third, he says, know who the prophecy is for. So, who were these prophecies in Isaiah for? How are we going to understand Isaiah? By knowing who the prophecies are for. Second uh, Nephi 25, um, it says, I write unto my people and to all those that shall receive my words. No judgments. So so all of those who are gonna receive his words, who are we? We're reading the words. So they're to us, we're receiving his words, right? We, we have this horrible tendency of going, oh, I'm reading the scriptures and it's talking about some people who aren't listening. I wonder who that is because I'm listening. I'm awesome. You know, we can't do that. If we're reading it, it's because it's meant for us. So keep that in mind. Everything we hear, it's meant for us. Verse 8, they're of great worth unto the children of men and those who think otherwise, I speak particularly. So Nephi is like anyone who thinks these words of, of Isaiah aren't important, who skip over them when they're doing their scripture reading or who just read them really quick so they don't get them, he's speaking particularly to you. Okay? He's not talking to people in Christ's time. Isaiah saw our time. And he's talking specifically to us. So Nephi's is going, hey, you need to know this. And the nations who shall possess them shall be judged of them. So this is in verse 22. The nations who possess these words will be judged of these words. It's not we're reading it and it's talking about those guys over there. We possess them. We're going to be judged based on what's written in these scriptures. Okay, so the words of Isaiah for us today, they're not for some other time or some other place. We are the end times, not for 200 years ago. It's for now for us today. Um, And then Nephi also says, you have to have the spirit of prophecy. So you have to be praying. You have to be asking the Lord for guidance and understanding as you go through this. Um, The scripture uh, in the Doctrine of Covenants where it says, you gave no thought, save it was to ask. If you're just going, oh, what does this mean? Oh, I didn't get anything. Moving on. That's not pure intent. That's not real intent. And you're not going to get an answer. Fifth, know the judgments of God and the patterns of the destructions that come to pass among the Jews. So that's in verses seven to 10. You have to know the patterns that things go through. Nephi keeps talking about the patterns. Why does he keep shoving these patterns down our throats, right? It's because he's saying, this has already happened a bunch of times. It's your guys are next. So listen to what I'm saying. I'm about to lay out Isaiah for you. Okay, so um, I the the number of chapters that I had Um, paraphrased or direct quotes was about 61 um, either direct quotes chapters or paraphrases. And I won't, I can, I can share what I have real quick here, but you guys can, I'll share that, share this again. I'll share in the doctrine of Christ. So I have two columns here and what I did is, so I have first Nephi 20 verse one through 20. And then I have that connected over here to Isaiah 48, one through 49. And so this is just done all the way through. Um, and so we're going to go through a lot of these really quickly, because I can't get into what Nephi prophesies of until you understand what Isaiah is saying. So please bear with me, because I promise you it's so worth it. And you're commanded by Christ to do this. So you're actually obeying a commandment by studying Isaiah with me. So it's great. Um, so here's the scriptures. It just so you can see really clearly. I'm going to take this off in a second. But I can, um, this is what we're going to be doing. Like right here, second Nephi 12, one through 24, this, these are the main chapters in the middle that we're all pink, uh, Isaiah two, one through 14. Okay. So these are the comparisons. And now, now these are all paraphrases down here. See how many there are Isaiah is all throughout the book of Mormon. Not just a little bit. It's everybody's going back to him. His ideas, his thoughts, his, um, his imagery, it's constantly, I mean, he, we're just being inundated by it. And yet none of us have a clue what he's saying. So, I and I also found myself going to my knees several times, just repenting. Repenting that I wasn't searching Isaiah. Repenting that I wasn't understanding it. Because the only reason I'm not understanding it is because I'm not being obedient. I'm not searching it like I'm supposed to be saying or supposed to be. I'm not um, asking and receiving the answers. And so I had to do a lot of repenting as I was going through this process. And it it really yields some amazing things. So. Um, we're gonna start off with 2 Nephi 6, 6 through 7, and that connects with Isaiah 49, 22 to 23. Um, some of them, some of the Isaiah chapters will go in more detail, some of them were not, but this is one of the first areas. Now, Isaiah shows up a little bit further in 2 Nephi also, but this is one of the first areas where we have um, Jacob warning the people, he's calling the readers Israel, which if you haven't already read Isaiah, go to the Isaiah Explained website, start on chapter two, and just start reading. It's really easy to read, you guys. It's super simple, and it's so interesting, all the information you can get on the commentary. But you see, real quick, being called um, Israel is not a good thing. <laughs> you don't want to be called the Israel category in the end days, end times. That's not something you want. So... Um, Nephi says, I speak unto you again from desirous, or sorry, this is Jacob, for the welfare of your souls. So you understand, he is so worried about us. He's talking to us. He's saying, I speak unto you. He's talking to us. So don't think he's talking about some other Nephites down the road that we need to convert. He is talking to us. Yea, mine anxiety is great for you. For yourselves know that it has ever been, for I've exhorted you with all diligence and have taught you the words of my father. So this is where we're going to have him talking about, um, prophecies that his father gave he's teaching his kids and he's writing them down for us today and um, and now the words which i shall read there isaiah concerning all the house of israel this is verse five wherefore they may be likened unto you for are of the house of israel and there are many things which have been spoken by isaiah which may be likened unto you because ye are of the house of israel now verse six and now these are the words thus saith the lord god behold i will lift up my hand to the gentiles and set up my standard to the people and it, so now I'm I'm not going to read everything that he's saying in here, verses 6, 8, 10, and 14. But I'm going to jump down um, to the Isaiah explained um, commentary. And so verse 22 here, it says, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, I will lift up my hand to the nations, raise my ensign to the peoples, and they will bring your sons um, in, the, in their bosoms and carry their daughters in their shoulders, and kings shall be your nursing fathers. So this is something that's quoted over and over and over again in the Book of Mormon. Um, Christ even quotes it now what is this hand and enzyme and all these things almost I would say in about 75 percent of the chapters of Isaiah he talks about a servant in the end time he talks about someone in the end times that's going to come and prepare the way for Christ now watch patterns and parallels what who did that before John the Baptist did that before how did they treat John the Baptist they weren't too happy about him right Was he accepted in the main group of of believers in the true church at that time? No, he wasn't. So patterns and parallels, just keep that in mind, okay? So he's constantly talking about um, the servant that's going to come in the end. So the the rest of Isaiah for this chapter is basically talking about a servant that's going to come, that's going to um, help keep the kings and queens, which are nations, of the Gentiles um, escort the sons and daughters. So those of his elect who was to the son servant category. That's the translation from um, chapter two or sorry, chapter um, some people were asking what chapter one. Isaiah 49, 22 through 23. So that translation really goes, there's a servant that's going to come and he's going to help those who are ready, who are the elect ascend to the next level. Okay. Having attained these certain levels, you keep going. So Isaiah, actually, um, some of the things that have been taught on Zooms before, I'm going. Where is that? I've never heard that in Scripture, but it's all throughout Isaiah, which I hadn't heard it because I wasn't reading Isaiah. So if something doesn't sound normal to you, good chance it's in Isaiah and you're just not reading Isaiah. So um, don't go crazy over it. Just go read Isaiah. Second um, Nephi six sixteen. Through eight twenty-five, So chapter 6 through 8 of 2 Nephi correspond with Isaiah 49, 24, and 52, 2. So all of this talks about the great tyrant or king of Assyria who destroys the world um, and Christ calling his people who have, a, who have broken their covenants to repent. So if someone's broken a covenant, that means they were a covenant people at once. They've broken that covenant. Christ is calling them to be repent and come back and be his bride. Um, this is a huge warning. This is a big deal. So he's um, basically we're told not to unite with the, the great and Abominable church, um, the great whore. Um, why would Jacob be warning us this? You know, like, Jake, this is Jacob. Once again, he's saying, Nephi told me to tell you about Isaiah. I, and these of all of the 66 chapters of Isaiah, this is what Jacob wanted us to know. He says, "Don't unite with the great church," Um, and he's like, "Listen to the Spirit, follow the Spirit, and be ready for a servant." Well, that sounds kind of crazy. I mean, the people who are reading this book are obviously the people who are doing what's right, right? (laughs) We don't need to be corrected. We've got the book. No, he knows we're reading the book. He's he's Nephi has seen our day. He says several times, "I've seen your day." Nephi knows who's reading the book. Jacob knows who's reading the book, and he's telling us some very direct information. So. if that doesn't sit too well with you, go back and read Isaiah 49, 24, and 52, too. And let's see, blessed are the Gentiles. This is verse 12, um, who the prophets has written, for behold, it is so, if it so be that they shall repent and fight not against Zion. Huh. Blessed are the Gentiles. If they don't fight against Zion, that's crazy. We're the Gentiles we're, we're, we're called all throughout the book. bookworm, the Gentiles, even Joseph Smith calls us the Gentiles. There's a paper on the doctrine of Christ website that says, who are the Gentiles? And there's hundreds of scriptures that support this. So it's saying, don't fight against Zion. Do not unite yourselves to that great abominable church. Um, The Lord God will fulfill his covenants, which he has made unto his children. And for this cause, the prophet is writing these things. So, so important to understand when you go back to Isaiah the translation there. Um, you're told in verse two to shake yourselves free from the dust, sit in the throat of Jerusalem, loose yourselves from the bands around your neck. O captive daughter of Zion. Thus says Jehovah, you were sold without price and you shall be redeemed without money. So the awakening and arising from the dust of Jehovah's people who pass his tests of their loyalty on the Zion Jerusalem level signify their rebirth on the, to the creation of the son servant level. So, He's what, what Isaiah is saying here is when the horrible things start happening um, and the people who have broken their covenants finally are humbled and repent, they can then rise up. They can then ascend up. Um, They're identified as the daughter of Zion, the woman Zion. They ascend to the elect level after experiencing a descent phase of personal trials. So, so see how this adds so much more meaning to what Nephi or what Jacob's trying to tell us. He's seeing our day. He's saying there's a covenant of people that have broken their covenants. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's going to get really bad. And I hope that you see that if you'll repent, it can get better. But if you don't repent, it's going to stay bad. The next um, set of scriptures is the second Nephi seven. So all of second Nephi seven is a quote from Isaiah, and that's from Isaiah 50. So if you go to second Nephi seven, we'll just pull a couple scriptures from there. If you go to Isaiah 50 on the Isaiah explained website um and you have to click with commentary if you want you don't have to but it can give you more information um so basically second isaiah 7 or second nephi 7 says all the covenant people of christ who have broken their covenants christ divorces them so there's two women that it, it basically talks about there's the the woman who's been unfaithful um who he now leaves and then there was the unfaithful one who now repents and is faithful who he marries that's how, how Isaiah talks about this scenario. Um, those who repent and he chooses to marry them It also discusses heavily the Davidic servant. So he really goes into the Davidic servant constantly. This servant is so important. Um, we hear about the Davidic servant, very, very little uh, when we discuss things, you know, in church or amongst ourselves, this Davidic servant is in almost every single chapter of Isaiah and Christ says to study Isaiah. <laughs> so um, the divine servant is the hand of Christ. Those who reject his servant will be cast off. That's basically what Isaiah 50 talks about. Um, once again, those who have just jumped on, I really urge you to go and study this for yourself because you're not going to get the, anywhere near the context that you'll need. Um, so verse 11, I found interesting. So I'll just share verse 11 from Isaiah But you are lighters of fires, all of you who illuminate with mere sparks. Walk by the light of your first and fires, and by the sparks you have kindled. This shall you have from my hand, and you shall lie down in agony. Jehovah likens those who reject his end-time servant to arsonists, or persons who spiritually light. Spiritual light is no brighter than sparks. So they fail to heed Jehovah's voice, which his voice is his servant, the Davidic servant, and are doomed to feel the brunt of Jehovah's punishment which is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, when he comes. The next one is um, Isaiah, 2 Nephi 8.25, and that corresponds with Isaiah 51. And basically what that one's about is Jehovah empowering his servant, the Davidic servant, as an arm of righteousness to deliver his people in an exodus to Zion. Um, so we're going to move real quick just because we're already a few minutes in, and I'm going to skip. So there's, there's so much to go through, and I can give this paper to anybody if you're interested in it but second nephi nine fifty compares with isaiah 55 1 um attention all who thirst come for water you who have no money come by food and come eat come buy wine and milk so jehovah's offering you know the covenant blessings of food and drink physical and spiritual to both the poor you who have no money and the rich who's um um who spend money on that which is not bread so the words attention in here those are really important in Isaiah. He's he's trying to draw your attention to what's happening in our day. So the, now we've, we've gotten through. So remember, I showed at the beginning um, this on the screen. We've gotten through just the beginning right here. So all it's talked about constantly is a group of people that were covenant that are no longer covenant people. They have broken their covenants, which means they had the truth at one time, and now they've lost it. And then it's talking about a Davidic servant who comes, who... Um, if the people hear him because they're following the spirit, they will be saved from great destruction that comes. However, if they don't, it's going to be really bad. That was just the beginning, that, and that's just Jacob explaining his portion. And so then we're going to go into the first chapter sequences of of Nephi, um, where he which starts in twelve. And this is what it's really interesting because the original Book of Mormon layout, like I said, had um, was Had chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 of 2nd Nephi all in one chapter. Okay, so keep that in mind as we're going to go through um, chapters 11 through 15 really quickly. And then we'll get an idea of what all that was supposed to be about. Um, So, chapter 12, chapter 11 is Nephi preparing us. He's saying, okay, this is really important. I need you to listen to what I'm saying. I'm going to. tell you some mysteries about Isaiah, Isaiah knows what's going on, listen to it. And then he goes into 12, 13, 14, and 15. So chapter two is an end time restoration of Zion in Jerusalem. And it contrasts with Jehovah's judgment of the world at his coming. So um, in the latter days, so this is verse two of Isaiah two. It says in the latter days, the mountain of Jehovah's house shall become established the head of the mountains, it shall be preeminent among the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. So in the latter days, that's that's this time frame. But when I've heard this, I've always thought, oh, the temple and everybody comes to the temple. No, 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 no. You read all the way through Isaiah, horrible things happen before this Before this mountain is established. Okay, so that's why it's so important to know Isaiah because we take pieces of it and we'll assume it means one thing and it doesn't. So this mountain of the Lord's house isn't set up until after the destruction that comes from the king of Syria, king of Babylon. So the fulfillment of the prophecy in the latter days shows an entire vision of events from beginning to end all throughout Isaiah. Um, And the millennial, so verse four, it says, he will judge between the nations and attribute arbitrate for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, and nation will not lift up sword against nation, nor will they learn warfare anymore. So the millennial peace, that's the millennial peace. Um, that Jehovah establishes follows a war to end all wars. The nation who comprises the earth's millennial inhabitants engage in agricultural rather than warfare. Um, They never again lift up their sword or do anything to hurt anybody else. This is after the great tyrant comes. So Isaiah is starting with the end in mind right here. So this is very clear that these things happen after great destruction. Um, After a great Holocaust happened, then Christ directs his people from Zion. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to quickly go through just to the next chapter. So Isaiah three basically covers wickedness in society, which leads to anarchy, internal collapse, destitution, and invasion. So the previous one was the end. He's like, this is where we're going to be at the very end, hopefully. Um, but then he backs up and he's now the Lord Jehovah post derives Judea. So this is verse one of Jerusalem, both staff and crutch. All food supply and water supply. Um, so this goes into the, the anarchy in the nation, the complete collapse, the destruction is going to happen to our society. This is the latter days and this is the promised land it's talking about. We know we're the promised land. The Book of Mormon says so. The, the Constitution says so. You know, we're a sacred, special promised land. where no king's supposed to rule. Um, so this is talking about us. So what's going to happen in our country shortly? Shortly, there's going to be no food. There's going to be no water. Uh, The basic necessities that we have so longer taken for granted are going to start to peter out for whatever reason. Um, The people's staff and crutches, Isaiah says, their livelihood, their communal structure, their civic leadership crumble away. Okay. So all these things that we're relying on, they fall apart and our society is going to spiral into anarchy and chaos. That's, that's basically what all of Isaiah chapter three talks about. Um, There won't be any great leaders. There won't be any, congressmen or senators, there won't be anything. Everything's going to slowly degenerate down and we're going to lose all moral integrity. Um, Verse nine is really interesting. So verse nine in chapter three of Isaiah says, the look on their faces, betray them. They flaunt their sin like Sodom. They cannot hide it. Woe to their souls. They have brought disaster upon themselves. So we're going to get to a point if we're not already there, that sodomy has become so widespread amongst this people um, that it's flaunted openly. And at first I thought, well, that's really extreme, but I don't see that quite yet. Well, I don't, in my home, I'm a mom who homeschools kids. Like I don't see that every day, but if you look on the news, you can see some of the parades going on and some of the you know teachings we're doing in our children's schools. Um, it's actually flaunted. It's pretty, it's pretty intense what's going on. So he says, woe to their souls. So it's not just, It's not just, um, woe to the people, their souls, they're both body and spirit, this calamity that's going to come amongst this people. Um, we're going to skip down to Isaiah chapter four, covenant women are prepared. Unlike the wicked Zion false covenant women. So in the previous chapter, real quick, I'll just go back to, um, chapter three, it talks about the women of Zion. And this is, um, very interesting because we read this in the book of mormon but it's super clear it says uh that the women of zion seek to woo the men by using a facade of beauty you know there it talks about um all the decorations they use as all their earrings and their bonnets and their beautiful set hair and and all this stuff i know you guys are familiar with those scriptures um the lord will afflict the scalps of the woman of zion with baldness so basically what's going to happen is um Women have been appealing to men's baser instincts, okay, to get attention, to get to get for their vanity, for their pride. And this day of judgment, Jehovah is going to expose their intimate parts and in entirely stripping away their exterior of glamour to reveal their debased um, interior. Now, he's not calling this the world. He's not calling this Babylon. He's not saying Babylon is dressing like this. He's saying Zion is. people who are supposed to be the covenant people of the Lord are dressing this way and acting this way and putting their money and their time and their energy into these things, which is huge. So to press home the extremes to which Zion's women go to beautify themselves, Isaiah presents an entire inventory of garnishments, you know, the well-set hair, all the, all the different, you know, jewelry that they have um, just, just to really show, you know, who he's talking about and what they're doing and the effort they're making to look beautiful. Um, So we're gonna go to chapter four and a four is gonna talk about the covenant women who prepare unlike the wicked Zion false covenant women. So there will be some women who prepare um, that they don't need the same, they're they're not gonna have the same things happen. So they're gonna say, you know, we have our own clothing, we have our own meat. um, Just seven women to one man, uh, just marry me to take away uh, my reproach. So they don't need support. They don't need um, someone else to take care of the family. They actually look down on it. Like I don't need. i have prepared and I'm listening to the Lord. Um, they just are going to need the structure of that protection. Okay, and that's Isaiah four. So Isaiah five goes into the vineyard, which I found this really interesting because this Isaiah five vineyard is just like Jacob five, and it's just like DNC one hundred and one and DNC one hundred and three. So. The whole imagery comes from an agriculture environment of ancient Israel. And this is where Nephi is telling us, you have to know the history of the Jews. You have to understand how they their culture was. You have to understand how they prophesy. Because you've got Isaiah here giving you a whole um, uh, allegory. And if you don't understand their history, you can't understand it. So what would happen is that certain seasons of the year such as Harvest time, minstrels would go around traveling to different farms to lighten the, 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 you know, begrudging, awful labor, you know, it's at the end of, of the season. And so servants would be trotting grapes to extract their juice, and the musicians would play instruments and, and sing ballads um, that the workers would then jump in and participate in, turning this awful drudgery into a really fun dance, and, and it just brought the mood up, and it was this fun thing that happened in society. Um, in that way, the latest love song was popularized throughout the land and was soon on everyone's lips. And so this Isaiah 5 is a love song and, um, uh, called My Beloved. And the subject of Isaiah's song represents Israel's God in his quintessential aspect of, hey, this is my vineyard. Oh, my goodness. What has happened to my vineyard? Um, and that's, that's how the people who are reading this on Isaiah's day would completely understand it. They know what he was talking about. So it's reminiscent of Jacob five, both the Jews who killed Christ and the wicked Nephites who were destroyed match the um, cult, um, cultivating and clearing the stones. So, so part of here, he talks about in the, in the vineyard, it says I must go through and I must clear the stones in my vineyard. And what that means is he's, he's got a, he had a vineyard. It's been overrun. It's been destroyed and trampled. And now I got to go in and clear it out. So he's going to go in and cleanse his people that's kind of a big deal he's not cleansing the world he's cleansing the people that he's given the truth to well who's who has the truth on the earth today i mean this this dnc 101 dnc 103 right here um removing the former wicked inhabitants and preparing the ground for planting anew um the the framework for the doctrine of christ is he's saying he's going to set up again in which his people can then bring forth the fruits of their labors instead of producing um the wild fruit or no fruit at all, which is what was happening in uh, in the original or, or in this ballad that, that that is being sung. So Isaiah 5 verse 4, when Jehovah exposes his people's actions for what they are, not for what they assume they are, his people are compelled to judge themselves, although what Jehovah does for them lacks nothing. So the the if you go in and read Isaiah 5, please read all of this, <laughs> that's my only purpose, not to teach, just to get you interested enough that you study it yourself. Um, He's saying uh, all the people that I set to help with my vineyard, to prepare my vineyard, where'd they go? Why aren't they doing their jobs? Why is my vineyard overrun? Why is my vineyard being taken care of? Isaiah's saying this. And what chapter are we on in Nephi, right? Nephi wanted us to know this. Nephi is quoting it that the chosen people, the covenant people are going to let the vineyard go to waste and the Lord is going to have to come and cleanse it. Uh, let's see, there's seven woes. So in Isaiah 5:8, 9 through 12, it goes over woes that are going to happen that cause, um, that we're going to see today. So the seven woes um, based on the covenant people who have broken their covenants, one, there's going to be a spirit of speculation. For property developments, for all sorts of stuff, you'll see that. There'll be a spirit of speculation. Two, there'll be a desolation in the land. So the land's going to mirror the spiritual desolation of the people who broke their covenants. So there's not going to be the abundance. There's not going to be food. There's not going to be the water that you need. Three, there's going to be a self-indulgent pleasure seeker. So everyone's going to parties. Everyone's taking whatever substances they want for whatever issue they have. Um, Just complete, you know, do whatever you want mentality. Uh, worldly pastimes is the fourth woe that's listed. So whatever worldly pastimes you can think of that people are going to be, you know, indulging themselves in sports, TV, musies, music, sorry, music, um, social media is so huge. YouTube, you know, everybody wants attention. Everybody wants someone look at them. What am I eating? What am where am I going? Take a picture of me, take a picture of me. Um, it's huge. If we weren't already a prideful nation, we have become above and beyond now. Uh, clothes, beauty, all of these things, worldly pastimes. The fifth woe, those who look down on true covenant seekers. Okay. Receiving your baptism of fire, baptism of Holy Ghost, entering in at the gate, those who twist evil for good and e- good for evil. So, number five is you'll see light for dark, dark for light. Okay. Verse 20. That's a big one. Six is persons who are wise or clever, they will um, condemn or look down on others. So they will constantly those who think they know everything will make fun of those who really bring knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit. And you'll be basically called, you know, crazy or an idiot or you don't know what you're talking about, an apostate maybe for following the Spirit. Um, and then crimes of injustice is is the last woe. So horrible things are going to happen. We're going to be so we're so corrupt that you'll be able, people will be buying and taking bribes, taking gifts. Um, people who are innocent are going to be getting hurt. Uh, And you see that pattern in the Book of Mormon too, right at the end. Um, The the government's just so corrupt. And do we see that today? (laughs) I'm pretty sure we've hit all of these woes. So just something to consider. Covenant curses in chapter five culminate with the reprobate of Jehovah's people, you know, Christ's people perishing like stubble and weeds in the day of judgment. The day of judgment is not this day where everybody rises and then we're all standing somewhere and he says, you were good, you were bad. Day of judgment is the great and terrible day of the Lord. It's good for the good people, but it's terrible for the bad people. It's when the king of Assyria, king of, um, sorry, uh, the great tyrant, king of Assyria, king of Babylon comes back or he comes again as he's come in parallels before. And he just, this time he takes over the whole world. Isaiah constantly talks about two people the king of Assyria, King of Babylon, who takes over the whole world, destroys everything, and the servant, Christ's right hand, who saves the people and leads an exodus, only those who are following the Spirit. Okay. So constantly, again, in chapter five, everything is, is falling back into this motif. So this ends the first chapter that Nephi wanted us to comprehend. So we had we had um, that is chapter eight of the original book of Mormon that covers chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15. So what did we learn? We experience that the entire vision of Isaiah that occurs in the end times and the main chapters are for, are, are his people who are supposed to be keeping his commandments. So everything that he's warning are his people in the latter days. Well, who are the people in the latter days that have the true gospel and ha- are capable of keeping the true covenants? That's super easy. I'll let you answer that yourself. Isaiah explains how the supposed covenant people, the only people on the earth expected to keep the laws and statutes because they truly have the laws and statutes are the only ones that are breaking them. The Lord constantly refers to these people as Zion, my people, Israel. They are not the world at large. They are not Babylon. He's not warning Babylon um, or non covenant making sex of, you know, Christians, non They haven't made covenants. Isaiah explains what the Lord will do to the men and women who have broken his everlasting covenant. The women are, or the men are almost all killed. The women are, are um, the children are dashed to pieces. The women lose almost everything. They're ravished. They're destroyed. And they sit upon the ground, completely destitute, and have nothing if they don't, if they aren't killed. And then he, at, at the end of all those chapters, the last chapter he goes into, he gives a parable that summarizes everything he just said. In the parable of a vineyard, to explain the vineyard to us so isaiah is really going i know that we're all really dense so i'm going to tell you all these things and at the end of everything i just told you i'm going to give you a parable of a vineyard to reiterate everything so that's what nephi just did in chapter eight of the original book of mormon now nephi is going to go into chapter nine chapter nine of the original book of mormon covers our modern chapters of 16 17 18 19 20 21 and 22 so after all those woes are enacted, then we see the arch tyrant swoop in and take over all the land, and that's what we're going to see happen in this second group of chapters. So starting um, in chapter 16, Isaiah is called as a prophet. He so Isaiah's told us stuff. Why is this first chapter put all the way here in chapter 6 of Isaiah? Well, Isaiah is actually reemphasizing, I am called as a prophet. He gives us his experience of how he's called as a prophet so we can have a witness and something to test his words by. So he talks about how he's called as a prophet. He feels pessimistic about his task. You know, (laughs) we have other prophets that felt that way too. Jonah was pretty pessimistic. He's like, I really don't want to go amongst them. You know, and I, I feel bad for Jonah because I kind of look down and I'm like, how could you just completely ignore the Lord? Until the Lord started telling me to do stuff. And then I was like, oh, I get how you could want to run away from the Lord. It's hard when you start really going to the Lord and offering things up. He starts really taking things. And you're going, oh, this is serious, you know. And it wasn't just that he was going to a people, talking about Jonah. He wasn't just going to a people um, to tell them they're going to be destroyed. These were really wicked people. I bet he was super scared he was going to get killed. So Isaiah here is pretty pessimistic about his calling to the extent that he's going, how long do I have to do this? He even asked the Lord, Can you give me a time frame of how much longer I'm going to have to do this? Because <laughs> I don't know if I really want to do this. Um, and Christ basically says, You know, this is all the way to the end of time. Your words, your purpose are going to go all the way to the end. Um, so Isaiah asked how long, and he's like, Oh, it connects all the events to the end of time and the end chapter with the destruction of the arch tyrant and the king of Assyria killing Babylon and acting upon all the people these terrible things. So um we got to keep in mind that the covenant of blessing and prosperity the lord gives the nephites if they keep his commandments and then the cursings if they don't that's constantly throughout the book of mormon our constitution was formed by god it was inspired and directed by him it is a promised land those who are brought here are brought by god's hand so by destroying this constitution we're actually breaking the covenants and this mirrors what was done in aha's time so this is what Isaiah is going to go into. Isaiah is explaining how governmentally the arch tyrant, the arch tyrant, comes to power. He explains a situation in Jewish history where um, the same thing occurs, where the king, Ahaz, transgresses his covenant and it leads to a hostile world power taking over everything. You can't make this up, you guys. This is pretty crazy. He's retelling the previous information from um, a deeper historical context to then tell us, and this is how the Hebrews does it, they're cyclical, they always use something in history to teach something in the future, that's, that's how everything works there, so, I, and I'm not going to get into all of this, I, I really want to, like I said, go read it, um, but basically what happens is Ahaz is the legal ruler, um, under the Davidic law, uh, he had every right to rule, But when he sees the Syrians coming, he's going to go and trust in the arm of flesh. and He's going to kind of make a little agreement on the side to save himself. And um, that causes everything to fall apart. You know, he he can't do that. And trying to save himself, he steps down from what is rightfully his to give power to someone else. Um, And I won't put too much of my own ideas in there. But if you think of the last election, if you want to think about it that way, it's very interesting. So... Um, He's condemned in the end um, for breaking the laws of the land, Uh, not someone else who invades, but the king, because the king does not obey the, the proper rights of his kingship of protecting the people. Instead, he steps down and he's letting someone else take over when he should have stood for what was right and he should have stayed because he was the legally right or he had the legal right to um, lead the people. Uh, so that basically goes through there. So people are left leaderless, foreign armies swarm in and attack and invade. Um, these are just the, the last bits of notes from here. Very few are left after the invasion and destruction and the land reverts back to a covenant cursing. So, um, Ephraim breaks away from Judah, causes the house to be divided. So the house is divided, our country's super divided right now. And that's when the king of Syria comes in and gains power. So, all those things happen in verse in chapter uh, seven. And so, going to chapter eight, a new flood in the form of Assyria's world conquest awaits all those who find refuge, um, all awaits all of those except those who find refuge in Jehovah. So, that's what chapter eight's about. Um, I'm getting short on time, so I'm going to hurry up and just go through. Um, basically, it goes into the destruction of King of Assyria and everything that he does. It goes through Christ appointing, chapter 10, Christ appoints a king of Assyria to destroy the wicked and his people showing that this is the the hand of God causing this destruction to come. Um, Chapter 11 is an enzyme to the nations. Jehovah's servants gather a remnant of Israel and Judah in a new exodus. So remnant, remnant is always the people after the destruction. That's the remnant. So we hear remnant a lot and we don't realize that whenever the remnant, almost always when the remnant is mentioned, it's after this event. After the instructions, the remnant that comes is those people who were true and faithful, who repented, who keep their covenants with Jehovah. And so they're able to return based on the Holy Spirit and the Davidic servant that leads them back in the Exodus to Zion. So there's no enzyme. The enzyme that goes to all nations is the Davidic servant. It's his voice. It's his teachings. And it's the works that he brings forth. That's the enzyme that goes to the whole world. That doesn't happen until um, all this chaos ensues. Okay. Okay. Um, chapter 12, the songs of Solomon, salvation and exaltation follow Jehovah's deliverance as a remnant of the house and his people. Um, so that, that's the center portion there in the second group, chapter nine of the original Book of Mormon. It covers one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So it covers all eight of those chapters. Um, now chapter 13 and 14 go into the Assyrian alliance that destroys the wicked world, um, and as Sodom and Gomorrah. And then chapter 14, um, the king of Assyria, Babylon, conquers the world, ascends to the heavens, but then he's he thinks that he's going to ascend to the heavens, you know, because he has power over the whole world. But then, of course, he's cast down. So the Jacob-Israel category um, must choose to ascend upward to the Zion-Jerusalem category or descend to the Babylon-Assyria category. So here you have the motif of celestial um telestial terrestrial celestial you've got Babylon which is the telestial you've got um the Jacob Israel category whenever you hear him talking about Jacob Israel that's the center category that's got to figure out what they want to do and then you've got the Zion Jerusalem category the people who have chosen and who ascend up so what is the purpose of going through all of that I had to go through that and I'm so sorry it took so much time to get into what nephi is really trying to tell us so please i feel so bad that i'm taking up um so many so much scripture reading but this is where we're going to get interesting so nephi seen the same things isaiah has seen he's seen everything from the beginning to the end right nephi knows who will be reading his words he knows what will befall the people who read his words so he quotes the chapters from isaiah that best fit the scenario that will affect the people who are reading his words. So you and I read his words. Everything Nephi has put from Isaiah in there is what will happen to us. We will see this in our day. If you don't already believe that, you gotta pray about it then because it's pretty important. So now you got the second portion. I'm gonna share my screen again just in case anybody else didn't see this. You've got the second portion of this drawing part here so we just went through the middle portion chapter 16 through 22 which comprised chapters 9 and then we talked a little bit about chapter 23 and 24 in the modern book of mormon but it's originally chapter 10 um now we're going to go in over here so we've got 25 26 and 27 nephi is going to explain everything that isaiah said and he's basically going to call us all Slow, because he says he has to speak really plainly to us, um, and and so I'm going to spend a little bit more detail on this, just because it's so important. This is where Nephi is breaking it down. You have to have, even when I explain this stuff to you, I'm going to say you're probably not going to grasp it the way I'm explaining it, because reading through Isaiah, you hear the same words so many times that then when you hear Nephi say it, you know the time frame he's talking and you know what he's referring to. If you haven't read all the way through Isaiah, the way that you should, and studied it to understand what things mean, it won't connect the same way. So I really urge you to go through and do that. So starting in 25, Nephi says, I've got, I'm going to, I'm going to be as plain as I possibly can. I'm going to give you some keys to understanding the scriptures, which we already talked about a little bit. You have to know the the, the prophesying of the Jews. You have to know who he's writing to. He's writing to us. Um, uh, know the judgments of God. So you have to know what's happened in the past. When you know what's happened in the past, you know the pattern of things and how they're going to happen in the future. Hearken, oh house of Israel. Um, so he's calling us house of Israel. Remember earlier I said, you don't want to be called house of Israel, but the reality is we're all the house of Israel. President Nelson said last, last October, officially, we are the house of Israel. So in case, in case you're like, oh, well, the prophet didn't say we're, the prophet said we're the house of Israel. Wherefore, I hearken on my picture with the house of Israel and give ear unto my words, for because of the words of Isaiah are not plain unto you, me and you, they're not plain. Nevertheless, they're plain to all those who are filled with the spirit of prophecy. You're only filled with the spirit of prophecy when you pray and you seek and you knock and you desire and you put in the willingness to have the Lord teach you and let go of your traditions and be taught. And so Nephi says, I give unto you a prophecy according to the spirit which is in me. So now Nephi is going to teach us something. After all the information he's given us in Isaiah, and he says, "According to plainness which has been with me from the time that I came out from Jerusalem, my father, if be behold, my soul delighteth in plainness unto my people that they may learn." Um, let me just pull up my Book of Mormon here. Okay, let's see there. Um, I came out from Jerusalem and mine eyes have beheld the things of the Jews. I know that the Jews do understand the things of the prophets. There is none other people that understand the things which were spoken unto the Jews like unto them. So no one's going to get it. He knows no one's going to get it. He knows you and I aren't going to get it. Save it be they're taught after the manner of the things of the Jews. So that's why it's so important to go to a resource like Isaiah explained, because you're getting taught after the manner of the Jews, you're learning their history and you're getting the understanding that isaiah needed you to have for you to be able to interpret his words so i give you my own prophecy according to plainness so that you cannot err you can't screw up you can't mess this up they're of great worth unto the children of men and anyone that supposes that these words aren't worth are of great worth unto the children of men. to them i speak particularly so anytime you've skipped over the words of isaiah anytime you've skipped over this stuff he's talking specifically to you and me um There'll be great, they will be of great worth unto them in the last days. So that's today, that's not 200 years ago and that's not in Christ time, that's today. For in that day shall they understand them. So that means that they won't have understood them before. They wouldn't have understood this properly 200 years ago. So it might've been pretty simple for people who didn't have that light to go, hey, let's break up the chapters. It'll make it easier to read. If you wanna change the things because you're not getting it, or if you, you're not getting it, so you want to change it, it's probably not the right pattern. If you're not getting it, you should probably pray about it and study and, and do more and not just change the scriptures so you can get it easier, right? So um, so that they can understand them. Wherefore, for their good, have I written them? So for us who can't understand them, he's going to be super plain and super simple to us. As one generation has been destroyed and with the Jews because of iniquity, even so, many more. So he goes into saying, look at the cycle. Everybody's been destroyed, Okay. He wants you to be, he wants it to be really, really clear what he's talking about here. Now, this is my thing. When I was reading through 2 Nephi 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, um, I get so frustrated because he's jumping all around. And I think he's talking about one thing, and then it feels like he repeats it. And that's where the Lord told me, okay, you need to make a timeline. You need to know what he's talking about and study Isaiah. So um, he goes in and he says, as one generation has been destroyed, another uh, in verse nine, another one, um, according to their iniquities, so it shall be, you know, be always be foretold them by prophets. Prophets will always warn and tell us before it happens. And now I speak this to you because the spirit was in me, notwithstanding they have been carried away, they shall return again and possess the land. So there, this is a mirror that he's trying to tell us. There's going to be um, this destruction, but there will be a repossession. And we see that happen in Isaiah. The great Assyrian comes on a grander scale, destroys, and then people, the remnant who are true and faithful, even after throughout the destruction, they get to come back and possess the land of their inheritance. So go down to verse 16 Christ comes, they crucify him, Nephi saying, And after they have been scattered, and the Lord has scourged them by their nation, space of many generations, um, let's see, then at that time, the day will come that it must needs be expedient that they should believe these things. So these things, what are these things? It says right here, when that day shall come, that they shall believe in Christ and worship the Father in his name with pure in heart and clean hands and look not forward anymore for another Messiah. So in case you don't know, the Jews now, it's called the Jehovah craze. Um, about 100 people claim to be Jesus or the Messiah every year. And every 50, hundred years, they get a really good one who really convinces a lot of people. So we're not like actively, you know, trying to look at people going, are you Jesus? But they are. So this is pretty serious. (laughs) So what he's saying right here is um, when that day shall come that they shall believe in Christ and worship the father in his name with pure hearts and clean hands and look forward no more for another Messiah. And then at that time, the day will come that it must needs be expedient that they should believe these things. What are these things? Sounds like he's talking about the Book of Mormon. So it sounds like they believe in Christ first. Just, just put that on the shelf for a minute. Um, so let's go to, let's see, 16, now we're on 17. And the Lord will set his hand again the second time to restore his people from their lost and fallen state. So his hand. When it talks about his hand in Isaiah, this is where you got to know what what he's talking about. The hand in Isaiah is the Davidic servant. When he says my hand, and he talks about restoring, Isaiah says that in several chapters, he's talking about the Davidic servant. So they're lost in fallen state. Wherefore, he proceeded to do a marvelous work and a wonder. Marvelous work and a wonder happens after, and we're going to see this a whole bunch after the king of Assyria, king of Babylon comes in. This marvelous work and a wonder comes during the destruction amidst the chaos. It's not something that happened 200 years ago. So um, verse 22, wherefore, these things shall go from generation as long as the earth shall stand. And they shall go according to the will. And the nations who shall possess them shall be judged of them according to the words which are written. So um, once again, we're judged based off the information that we have. Uh, and the words which I have spoken shall stand as a testimony against you, for they are sufficient to teach any man the right way to believe in Christ, not deny Him, and also not deny the prophets and the law. And now, verse twenty-nine. Now I say to you, is the right um, that the right way is to believe in Christ and deny him not. And Christ is the Holy One of Israel. Wherefore you must bow down before Him and worship Him with all might, mind, strength, and soul. And and so, Second Nephi twenty-six. Uh, so that's that's 25 so he's saying something's going to happen that's going to cause the people the original jews house of israel to believe in christ and then when that happens then they get the book of mormon and then there's this guy that comes the hand who restores these people okay that's the marvelous work and wonder 25 26 oh the pain and anguish of soul for the loss of the slain of my people so he's going to go into um everything that happens that kind of affects this now remember this is one chapter 25 26 and 27 are one chapter so nephi if you we're gonna i'm just gonna go back up real quick second nephi 25 verse 9 he said or verse 8 he says for in the day shall they understand them wherefore for their good have i written them and as one generation passed away on another um Then it stops here at verse 10 in Second Nephi 25. I have told them concerning the destruction, and he goes into um, telling something that's disconnected. And then on verse 15, he says, wherefore, the Jews shall be scattered among all nations, yea, and also Babylon shall be destroyed, wherefore, the Jews shall be scattered by their nations. The, The breaks of the chapters, you might be having a hard time following along, it's because the original book of Mormon did not break in those areas. And so you've got a full idea of what's being said because there's breaks and there's introductions that don't actually say anything about what's actually happening. Um, people are thrown off. So Babylon shall be destroyed. Wherefore the Jews shall be scattered among all nations. And also Babylon shall be destroyed. Wherefore the Jews shall be scattered. Um, oh, sorry. I reported that twice in the nation. So now he's going to go through and he's explaining, um, What's going to happen? So, on verse seventeen, it says, "And the Lord will set His hand a second time after they are prepared to believe in Christ." So, a second hand and a second time to restore His people from their lost and fallen state. Wherefore, He will proceed to do a marvelous work and a wonder. Verse eighteen says, "Wherefore, He shall bring forth His words unto them." His words. Whenever He's talking about Nephi, He says Nephi's words or my word, Nephi says my words or the words to see to my people. This one, it says his words. Just keep an eye on that because it does that several times. Wherefore, he shall bring forth his words unto them, which words shall judge them at the last day. Okay. Um, Let's see. And now you're going to go through, he's talking about Christ. He's talking about um, trusting in Christ, the deadness of the law. Skip through. You got to go past the break of chapter 16 and just Go all the way through, all the way down until 2 Nephi twenty-six, verse twelve. This is all the same chapter. Um, he's just been talking about all those that do wickedly; they're going to burn a stubble. He's quoting Isaiah again. All the pain and anguish of my soul. Um, when these things have passed away, there will be speedy destruction that will come upon you. He picks up his prophesying. Remember, I said he's going to prophesy. He keeps stopping. And testifying of Christ and the things that he knows, and then picking up his prophesying. When it's broken up into different chapters, you can't see that. When it's in one whole chapter, you can see that he's explaining those things. And now he's going back and he says in verse 12, he's finishing the prophecy. He said he was going to tell us in verse 25. And as I spake concerning the Jews that Jesus is the very Christ, it must needs be that the Gentiles be convinced also that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God. So we have to be convinced because obviously we're not convinced. Why is that? And he says and he manifests himself unto them in the last days. Um, by the power, sorry, manifest unto them who believe in him by the power of the Holy Ghost and into every nation, kindred tongue, according to their faith. But behold, I prophesy. So see, I said, he's picking back up his prophecy. Unto you concerning the last days. When the Lord God shall bring these things forth unto the children of men. What things? These things. The scriptures. He says these things again. So what I had to do is I had to map this out because it's so all over the place that I was like, wait, wait, wait. So 2 Nephi 25, 16, he says these things, talking about the Book of Mormon. 2 Nephi, um, let's see, in verse 17, he talks about his words and a marvelous work. That's separate. Then in verse eighteen, he says, "Bring his words." That's separate. And then these things in twenty six fourteen that we just read. Now he's talking about the Book of Mormon again. There's different books he's talking about. This is not the same thing. I've read this my whole life and thought it was the same thing. I'm going I'm to keep going and I'm going to show you hopefully, and then you'll go and study it on your own. Second twenty six seventeen. Um, this is where it gets interesting. So, after my seed and the seed of my brethren shall have dwindled in unbelief and shall have been smitten by the Gentiles. And after the Lord shall have camped against them round about and shall have laid seed against them with the mountain, raised forts against them. Let's see. Um, they are not. The words of the righteous shall be written and the prayers of the faithful shall be heard. And all those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not be forgotten. Okay, so he's laid this time frame of all the stuff that's happened to Nephi's people and they're all destroyed. Those who shall be destroyed shall speak unto them from the ground. Their speech shall be out of the dust and their voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit for the Lord. God will give unto him talking about a person now unto him power. What is he talking about? That he may whisper concerning them, even as if it were out of the ground and their speech will whisper out of the dust. Now I always grew up going, Oh, this is the prophecy of the book of Mormon. (laughs) Give me a minute. And thus saith the Lord God, they will write these things which shall be done among them. And they shall be written and sealed up in a book. And those who have dwindled in unbelief shall not have them for they seek to destroy the word of God. So the people who um, could have gotten this won't get it because they would destroy it. Right. Wherefore those who have been destroyed have been destroyed speedily. Um, And then we go down. See. And it shall be in an instant. Let's see. And. And the Gentiles are lifted up in the pride of their eyes and have stumbled because of the greatness of their stumbling block. And they have built up many churches. Nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God. So remember back when it says these things, the Book of Mormon has already been introduced. We have it. Keep in mind, Nephi knows we have the Book of Mormon. He's he's seen us reading it. So he's writing to us a future prophecy. He's not gonna give us a history lesson. He's not telling us, hey, you people that are going to get the Book of Mormon, I'm going to tell you how you got the Book of Mormon. It's going to be great. That's not what he's doing. He's telling you, back in 2 Nephi 16, he says, these things he's talking about, the Book of Mormon has already been introduced. He's saying there's something else that's going to come. He's giving us a prophecy of it. So uh, the Gentiles, because of their stumbling block, um, put down the power and miracles of God and preach up to themselves to get gain. Secret combinations uh, in verse 22, and then all through verse 23 through 30, you've got works of darkness um, being led um, by a flaxen cord. You know all this crazy stuff that's that's happening um, today. So uh, loveth the world, even let's see, uh, and then it goes into Christ. Christ says, you know, he doesn't he doesn't say for anyone to not come to him, he wants everyone to come to him. He doesn't stop anyone from coming to him. He commanded that there shall be no priestcrafts, crafts. For behold, priestcrafts crafts are that men preach and set themselves up for a light unto the world. That they may seek gain and praise of the world, but they seek not the welfare of Zion. So he's talking about Zion. He's talking about people who are supposed to be Zion that aren't seeking the welfare of Zion. Behold, the Lord hath forbidden this thing. Wherefore, the Lord God hath given the commandment unto all men that they should have charity. And then he says, but... Um, wherefore if they should have charity They should not suffer the labor of Zion to perish Once again we're talking about Zion here We're not talking about non-denominational Christians We're talking about the covenant people Who believe they have the full truth Verse 31 But the labor in Zion shall labor for Zion For if they labor for money they shall perish Okay Now we're gonna So That's 25, 26, 27 Is the last chap, last portion of this chapter 11 in the original Book of Mormon. Um, so there's no break. He's sitting here saying all this stuff about the labors in Zion. He's talking about the iniquities of the children of men. And then he says, but behold, in the last days or in the days of the Gentiles, he's going to finish his prophecy. He's still prophesying. This is the same vision, the same prophecy. Okay. He says. He says. But behold, last days are in the days of the Gentiles, all the nations of the Gentiles and also the Jews, both those who shall come upon this land and those who will be upon other lands, shall be drunken with iniquity and all manner of abominations. There's no good people. And when that day shall come, they shall be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquakes and with great noise and with storm and with tempest and with flaming and devouring fire. I don't know about you, but that hasn't happened yet. Have you guys seen that yet? Just look at verse two. It's pretty clear. Be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder, earthquakes, great noise, great storm, tempest, and flame of devouring fire. Okay. So this is a future event he's talking about. All the nations that fight against Zion and distress her shall be as a night, a a dream and a night vision. This chapter is connected to Isaiah 29. I'm going to break down Isaiah 29 really quick just because, oh my gosh. I'm sorry, you guys, I know this is going on. But Isaiah 29 starts off with, whoa, Ariel, Ariel. It's pretty serious. So I, I started reading Isaiah 29. I was like, why is it, all of a sudden he's calling people Isaiah, Jacob category or Zion, Jerusalem category. And now he's calling people Ariel. Why, what does that mean? And so I was talking to some friends about that. I started, I prayed about it and I got the prompting to research what it means. It means a, a hearth or um, a, a, of an altar. So it's a place of Holocaust. It's a place where horrible tragedy and murder happens. Isaiah is talking about the people right here in future text of what they're going to be. They're going to be burnt to a crisp. They're going to be annihilated and murdered. He's calling them, oh, um, butcher table. You know what I mean? I mean, he's calling electric chair. He's calling them what um, rese- assemble, uh, sorry, resembles their death. Like, it's pretty, it's kind of bad. Um, But he's being very direct to what's going to happen. And so all of verse chapter 29 connects with chapter 27. You can almost go through them side by side and look at how he's connecting these two chapters. There's no question what Nephi's saying when Nephi is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah is very clear. Everything he's saying is a people who have broken their covenants. People are going to be completely destroyed. There'll be a Davidic servant who will come. And only those who hear the Davidic servant will be saved and will ascend but this is where it gets interesting. So in the last days, everyone's drunken. Um, those things happen with the devouring fire. Um, let's see, for behold, the Lord have poured out upon you the spirit of a deep sleep. And Isaiah goes into that, the sleep that occurs, That what happens to the people, what happens in a deep sleep? You're not paying attention, right? That's when the, the vineyard is destroyed. That's when um, the the bridegroom comes and no one knows um it shall come to pass that the lord would bring forth unto you the words of a book and they shall be the words of them which have slumbered and behold the book shall be sealed so that here's a book it's totally sealed the words of them which have slumbered and the book shall be sealed and the book shall be re, um, a revelation from god from the beginning of the world to the end thereof so we know that that's a sealed portion it's pretty clear right um uh Sealed portion, wherefore the book shall be kept from them, so kept from people, uh, but the book shall be delivered to a man. Once again, we get this man. Okay, and I'm like, oh yeah, this already happened. This is a book of Mormon. No, he's not telling, giving us a history story, he's giving us a future prophecy after reading Isaiah. He's saying, Let me prophesy to you. Something that's gonna happen. A man shall deliver the words of a book, which are the words of those who have slumbered in the dust, and he shall deliver these words to another but the words which are sealed shall he not deliver. This is the kicker, you guys. You hear the story and you you automatically go, oh, that's when Joseph Smith gave the scriptures to so-and-so and and he went and the learned guy said he couldn't read it and this guy said he could. Research that story. I'm telling you to research it. There are so many changes to that story. It'll blow your mind. So many changes. And not just by the guy who they claim they went and saw, but by the people themselves involved. It's almost like, They're trying to match the story to make the scripture come true. I don't know, but it was very interesting. And the only one that Joseph Smith seems to support is a very limited one, which if, if the idea that I'm trying to present here is true, this situation could have happened more than once. I think particularly this situation with the sealed portion only happens once. So it goes into the sealed, the sealed book. If you go through verses 10 all the way down to 14, it says, you know, the revelation was sealed and kept until the end of the time of the Lord that reveal all things from the foundation of the world. The book was sealed and shall be read upon the housetops. So obviously that's not happening. We know we don't have this, this book in this sealed portion, okay? That's what this story is connecting to. This story is connecting to a book that's sealed, that people are going to read in the housetops. That's not happened. We just can't mix our stories we can't mix our our scriptures we have to we have to make timelines in our minds and keep things ordered and say lots of prayers so we're not deceived and be willing to change our paradigms so um the book which were sealed shall be read upon the housetops and they shall be read by the power of christ and all things shall be revealed unto children of men which ever have been or which whichever were um and wherefore at the day when the book shall be delivered unto the man of whom i've spoken so a man again um shall be hid from the eyes of the world that the eyes of none shall behold it save witnesses so we're gonna have witnesses again um delivered and they shall testify the truth of the book and there is none other which shall view it save according to the will of god and they'll bear testimonies of it wherefore the lord god will proceed to bring forth the words of the book in the mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth as seemeth him good um let's see and then it goes into 15 says take these words which are not sealed and deliver them to another so here we have this happen again um and i will read them and because of the glory of the world and to get gain we know this uh these scriptures let's see they say cannot read it come to pass the lord will deliver again the book to the words thereof of him who has not learned and he will say i'm not learned and then the lord will say unto him the learned shall not read it before they have rejected them and i am unable to do my own i'm able to do my own work um Touch not the things which are sealed, for I will bring them forth in my own due time, and I will show unto the children of men that I am able to do my own work. Wherefore, thou, when thou hast read the words which I have commanded, being obtained the witness, this is all he does. He reads the words, and he obtains the witness. Then I promise me, thou shalt seal up the book again and hide it up unto me, that I may preserve the words which thou hast not read, until I shall see fit in my own wisdom to reveal all things unto the children of men. That's a little bit of a different scenario than having them printed For behold I am God and I am a God of miracles and I will show into the world that I am the same yesterday, today and forever. And I work not among the children of men; save so to be according to their faith. Um, Let me go back up. So Isaiah 29 in that, that goes side to side of this talks about specifically a people who keep their covenant and, or not keeping their covenant and what happens to them. These books do not pertain to us, then why is Nephi talking about us to look forward to it so we know what's happening when it happens, if it already happened, right? It's it's so hard to decipher this when the chapters are broken up. So in verse 24, and again it came to pass, the Lord shall say unto him, "Who shall read the sh- words that are delivered for as much as the people draw near to me with their mouth, their lips do honor me, but I have removed their hearts from me. Um, their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Then, verse 26, remember I said to keep an eye out for this, therefore I will proceed to do a marvelous work among the people. This marvelous work, you can connect back to Third Nephi, where Christ is quoting Isaiah and he says marvelous work again, but it's in the midst of Isaiah's turmoil and a huge destruction coming across the world, okay? So we're not going to see this book until um, the Lord's doing this marvelous work in a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise and learned shall perish, and the understanding of their prudence shall be hid. Who's our wise and our learned? Those who know these scriptures so well, and we're all wrong, and we just need to be spoon fed and read our manuals, right? Well, unto them that seek high to de- hide their counsel from the Lord, um, things will be turned into potter's clay. This is where it's quoting in Isaiah 29, um, which you guys, Isaiah goes way into some really good detail. So, really read these chapters with Isaiah. You read one of these, read Isaiah that connects with it. Um, But behold, saith the Lord, I will show unto the children of men that it is yet a very little while and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be steamed as a forest. So this quote, the fruitful field turns after the destruction. So this, he's giving you a timeline in Isaiah when these things happen. This didn't happen 200 years ago. Um, and in that day, verse 29, it says, in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of blindness. And the meek also shall increase in their joy. And this is all the Zion mo- motif of um, coming back and being on the Exodus and coming and uh, being redeemed of God after all the turmoil that happens. So that's the end of that section 25, 26, and 27 that are part of just the, the 11th chapter in the original Book of Mormon. Um, and then the, the last grouping that we have is 28, 29, and 30. So in 28, 29, and 30, see. the scriptures. Remember, he's, he's so um, this begins a whole new section. 28 goes hand in hand. With Isaiah 28, so you can literally pull up Isaiah 28, and you can pull up um, chapter 28 in the second Nephi, and you just go like this, and your mind will be blown. I promise, it's so worth it. Um, this is better than anything on Netflix. I promise you guys. Um, Behold, now my brother and I have spoken unto you concerning the spirit that has constrained me. So he gave his prophecy. We just Nephi explained that he needed to make Isaiah all of those. Um, 12 chapters we just read in the middle. He's like, I have to make this super plain for you. And so he makes it super plain. He quotes a little bit more of Isaiah, but he says exactly what's going to happen. And he's saying, this is all in the end time. And it's all um, right before this great destruction happens or during this great destruction, not 200 years ago. And he's talking about books that are coming forward, giving us a prophecy of something that's going to happen. I'm reading it. He knows I'm going to read it. He's saying, Malia, I'm going to tell you some things to help you. I'm going to connect Isaiah to it so you have a timeline. Look for these things. Look for this when it happens. That's what Nephi is doing. He's so awesome. I'm so grateful for Nephi. Um, So 28 goes hand in hand. See, I just got to find my spot real quick. Okay. Um, The spirit has constrained me wherefore I know that they must surely come to pass. So he's saying, um, everything that he's just said is going to come to pass. I've, so, and the things which shall be written out of the book shall be of great worth unto the children of men, especially unto our seed, which are a remnant of the house of Israel. So something's going to be written in this book when it comes forward, that's going to be of great worth. It shall come to pass in the day, the churches will are built up, not unto the Lord. We've already pretty much figured out where these churches are. Um, behold, I am the Lord, and the others shall say, I am the Lord's, and thus, you know, we're going to go through these real quick. And they shall contend one with another, and the priest shall contend, um, and they shall teach with their learning and deny the Holy Ghost which giveth utterance. Super sad, right? And they deny the power of God and the Holy One of Israel. And unto the people, hearken unto us and hear our precept. And behold, lo, here, lo, there. Um, behold, verse six. Um, they say there is a miracle wrought by the hand of God. Believe it not. For this day He is not a God of miracles. He hath done His work. Um, many will say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. This is. I have to split my screen because I have to pull up my Isaiah and read this part to you because this is pretty crazy. So give me a minute, Roll. Let's see. Um, All right. Okay, so he's saying um, all the different churches are gonna try and get your attention. And he's really, what he's talking about is groups of people gathering. So it's not like this is a Baptist church and this is a Christian. It's, it's gatherings of people they called um, churches or they called uh, as one group of people. That's what he's referencing. Uh, let's see. So therefore hearing the word of Jehovah. So this is, this is verse 14 of 28. Therefore hearing the word of Jehovah, who scoffers who preside over these people in Jerusalem, you have supposed by taking refuge in deception and hiding behind falsehoods to have covenanted with death or reached an understanding with Sheol. Sheol is the God of the underworld that should a flood of scourge sweep through the earth, it shall not reach you. Okay, this is super interesting because you've got back here in 2 Nephi twenty-eight you have hearken unto me, listen to me. All these leaders are saying, listen to me. Don't listen to anybody else. Um, um, don't worry about anything. Nothing bad's going to happen. You're fine. We're going to be okay. That's verse eight. Um, verse nine, that shall teach after the manner of false and vain and foolish doctrines. They'll be puffed up. Um, verse 10, the saints of, of shall blood shall cry from the ground. Um, 11, they have all gone out of the way. They have become corrupted. Okay, that's super important. They have all gone out of the way. Every church on the earth has gone out of the way. Okay, we know the timeline because we have Isaiah. This isn't 200 years ago, this is today. Because of pride and because of false teachers, they have become corrupted and their churches are lifted up because of pride. They rob the poor. So it goes in all the stuff that they're doing. So this goes into go all the way 14, 15, 16, 17, all these woes that happened that he's saying, oh my gosh, this is so awful. All these these things that are happening to these people, wickedness and abominations, um, talking about the kingdom of the devil. So, but behold, the great and abominable church, this is where, look at this. So verse 18, the great and abominable church, the whore of all the earth must tumble to the earth and great must be the father of, for the kingdom of the devil must shake So it's referencing back the great abominable church is the kingdom of the devil. And they which belong to it. Did you catch that? They which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance. When you read Isaiah, you see constantly the covenant people screw up, they're not keeping their covenants. He's constantly saying, repent. Okay, it's not just a oh, I said a bad word today, I'm gonna repent. This this theory and idea of repenting is constantly going back. Um, to what's gonna happen in the end days when this horrible um, destruction comes, the people need to repent. So they which belong to it must needs be stirred up unto repentance or the devil will grasp them with this everlasting change and be stirred up to anger and perish. For behold, at that day, he's so specific at what the time frame is here. Shall he rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger and others he will pacify and lead them down away to hell. This is all happening in the church. This is he's still talking about his kingdom and his his church. Others will he pass by and load them away into a corner of security, and they will say, "All is well in Zion. Zion prospereth. All is well." And the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away down to hell. The devil's cheating them because he's the king. He's the leader. He's the ruler of the church. And behold, others he flattereth away, telling them there is no hell, there is no devil. And then you go to twenty three, and they are grass with death and hell and death, and hell, and the devil, and this is another instance where if you hear something, you don't know what it means, pray about it, knock, seek, if you don't get the answer right away, keep thinking about it, you're doing the dishes, you ask the Lord, you're driving your car, you ask the Lord, just keep thinking about it, show him you're willing, and he's going to give you the answer, so immediately to my mind, 28, and that's where it comes in right here, 28 verse 14 on Isaiah, it says, therefore, hear the word of Jehovah, you scoffers who preside over these people. So Nephi went into way more detail about what these people are doing in the end days, in the last days. He's telling us a lot of detail about what he's seen our churches do. And he's talking to us. And then you have Isaiah connecting this death and hell, death and hell. It's a covenant. That's why he says it so many times. It's mimicking a covenant. Well, what's the covenant? You go to Isaiah and you read you have supposed to take refuge in deception and hide before all falsehoods to have covenanted with death or reached an understanding with Sheol that a scourge sweeping through the earth shall not reach you. So there's people who believe that because they've made agreements with Babylon, with the world, that they're going to be saved from the destruction that comes. Maybe they get a vaccine. No offense. I'm not trying to say that. Maybe they they give up their rights a little bit. Maybe they don't need their guns. They're covenanting and giving things away in hopes that that will save them. That's what he's talking about here. So by seeking refuge in deception instead of in Jehovah and by hiding behind falsehoods, instead of acknowledging the truth, Ephraim's leaders relied on their own counsel and it creates a covenant of death because they're listening to Satan. Such a policy leads to death at the hands of Jehovah's agent of death, which is the king of Assyria, the king of Babylon, in the day of judgment. Um, Go to the next one. See, therefore, thus says my Lord Jehovah, I lay lay in Zion a stone, a precious cornerstone, a foundation. Those who believe in it shall not judge rashly. I will make justice my measure and righteousness the weight. So right when it talks about righteousness, it's talking about the the Davidic sermon. Isaiah explains that. So, those who are seized back in verse 23 and 2 Nephi 28, um, the throne of God and the judgments according to their works, from whence they must go into the place prepared for them, the lake of fire and brimstone. Therefore, woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. Okay, no one else is called Zion but the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. I'm just going to be real blunt right there. We talk about it all the time. We think we're building it. We're just waiting for someone to tell us that it's there and we're all going to march there, right? That's not the case, that's not what's happening. A horrible destruction comes first. All those woes we talked about and all the other parts of Isaiah happen first. You see the decline in the, in the country. You see people making deals to avoid destruction. You see church leaders um, making agreements and deals, thinking that's gonna save them. And then Isaiah lays it out really keenly. No, that's not how you're gonna save yourself, right? So woe be unto him that Christ all is well. We're still in second Nephi 28. Um, woe to him that to the precepts of men and denyeth the power and gifts of the Holy Ghost. Woe unto him that saith, We have received and we need no more. Now we're talking about truth. Now someone's saying something about truth again, that they don't want any more truth. He's talked about other books. This is Nephi's prophecy of our future. And in fine, one to all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth. Um, woe unto him that shall say, We have received the word of God and we need no more of the word of God. This is today. Someone's gonna say. Or bring some truth to us and we're going to say eh, we don't need more we've got what are you talking about we're good this isn't 200 years ago this isn't today and then uh, Nephi says I give you he's, he quotes God he's saying Lord says I give you line upon line precept upon precept for him that receiveth I will give more so he's going back again to it he's saying if you will receive what I have for you I will give you more but the people aren't going to. The majority of the people are not gonna to listen to the Davidic servant. They're not going to follow him. Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or hearken to the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. You'll only know who the Davidic servant is by the power of the Holy Ghost. Woe unto the Gentiles. So now he he's going to go into the next part of his talking. Remember, this isn't a break right here in in our modern scriptures 28 ends and 29 is about to start there's no break this is all one chapter so he's saying woe unto the gentiles saith the lord of hosts so he's saying this is going to happen to us for now standing i shall lengthen out my arm unto them they will deny me um and then he goes right into but behold there shall be many at that day when i shall proceed to do a marvelous work among them what's the marvelous work remember that's when the Lord's heavenly father is doing his work. Christ is quoting his heavenly father. It's heavenly father's work to bring all these people back after destruction. Um, after the chaos starts to ensue. That I may remember my covenants, which I made to the children of men the second time to recover my people. And so this is where we're going to start getting really interesting because I remember the promises I made to Nephi and also unto thy father that I would remember your seed and that the words of your seed should proceed forth out of my mouth. And unto your seed and my words shall hiss forth. So we've got Nephi's words proceeding. So they're like, um, to proceed. They're just being going forth easily. And then we've got the Lord's words hissing. Hissing is like a negative context. It's, it's not going to be received well. It's, it's going to be, um, looked down upon. So Nephi's words are going to go. But then the Lord's words are going to go, and it's not going to be received very well. Okay, Nephi's words go first, and then Heavenly Father's words or Christ's words go after. Okay, um, my words shall hiss forth into the ends of the earth, first, enter to my people, which shall be of the house of Israel. So, verse th- verse three and twenty nine. That's still the same. This is what they say, and because my words hiss forth, not because Nephi's seed hisses forth or, or proceeds his nephi's proceed they go first that's why he says proceeds then the lord's hiss and then it says because my words hiss forth many of the gentiles who are the gentiles they're us we know that we are the gentiles many of the gentiles shall say what a bible a bible we have got a bible and there cannot be any more bible Every time I read that when I was younger, I didn't understand why it was saying Bible. Well, I guess the people just claim our Book of Mormon is a Bible. I'm making justifications for what I've been taught to try and make it make sense. But then as I got older, especially in the last year or two, I've, as I've really studied it and given myself over to listen to the Lord, to be taught by the Lord, and not give up all my traditions to hear whatever is truth. I want truth. I want nothing else he's shown this to me and so no it literally is a bible joseph smith was working on the prop the full translation of the new testament complete translation it didn't get done we have such scant amount done because he was constantly being arrested he was being chased he was being attacked he was stealing people He was defending himself i mean he didn't have the time and the ability like he did when he was working on the translation of the book of mormon so a Bible, a Bible, there cannot be any more Bible. And thus saith the Lord God, O fools, they shall have a Bible. Now this is really, really important because this is talking to you and me, those people who have the book of Mormon who believe that is the most correct book on the earth. Yes, it is the most correct book on the earth, but listen to what the Lord has to say about us because we think we have just this book. Listen to what he says. Oh fools, they shall have a Bible and it shall proceed forth from the Jews, mine ancient covenant people. And what thank they, the Jews, for the Bible, which they received from them? Yea, what do the Gentiles mean? Do they remember the travails and the labors and the pains of the Jews and their diligence unto me in bringing forth salvation unto the Gentiles? O ye Gentiles, us, have ye remembered the Jews, my ancient covenant people? Nay, but ye have cursed them and have hated them and have not sought to recover them. But behold, I return all these things upon your heads, for I, the Lord, have forgotten my people. I have been praying about these verses for years and specifically the last couple months and even more so intensely in the last couple of weeks. I'm driving around talking about it with the Lord. I'm praying and asking. I'm asking that any other interpretations I have that are wrong be taken out of my mind. And just the other day, the Lord told me that that was to me just the other day. The Lord said, what is in this book? what is in this book is sacred. And we receive the book of Mormon and we go, this is the most correct book. How many Latter-day Saints truly study the Bible? The reality is they really don't. Most of them don't really study at all, but of the few that study, they study mostly from the book of Mormon, which is great because it's the pure doctrine of Christ, right? However, We are commanded to study Isaiah. We're commanded to study the prophets who came before because they saw our day. And there's more information for us, but so rarely do we do it. What thank we for the Jews? We don't. When I would think of the Jews, maybe I'm the only one that thought this, but I think, oh, they're the ones that crucified God. They're the ones that were screwed up. They're the ones that were this. They're the ones that were that. Look how bad they had it. Um, No, I've got the most correct book right here. (laughs) Good. Now, no, I didn't. That's subconscious. That's just my subconscious. No, I wasn't really like, not reading the Bible. I read the Bible plenty, but i that's my feeling towards them. Are those Jews who crucified God who gave me the Bible? No. The people who gave me the Bible are the Isaiahs and the Jeremiahs. They're the disciples of Christ. Those who were sawn asunder, that were crucified, that were murdered, that were killed, just so I could have those words in that testimony, just so that one day a, a farm boy could read those words and know that they're true. And go to the Lord, and then I could have a, a greater um, understanding of the doctrine of Christ. No, I do not thank them. No, I do not appreciate them. No, I have not tried to recover them. And no, he doesn't mean he doesn't mean missionary efforts and converting them to Mormonism. It's Christ that the Lord says they will come to know Christ. They will come to be His people. So, oh, you Gentiles, have you remembered the Jews, mine ancient people? No, but ye have cursed them. Thou fool, that shall say a Bible, a Bible. We have got a Bible. What need me? We need no more Bible. Have you obtained a Bible, save it were for the Jews? A Bible is going to come forth, a fully translated Bible, and majority of the Latter-day Saints will say, what the heck? We've got a Bible. And the Lord's saying, you don't even care about it. You don't even appreciate the lives and the people who have sacrificed. Christ, everything to give that to you. Nothing. What thank you for them? Nothing. Know ye not that there are more nations than one? Know ye not that I, the Lord, have created all men, and that I remember those who are upon the isles of the sea and rule in the heavens above and beyond the earth and all nations on the earth? Wherefore, murmur ye, because ye shall receive more of my word. Know ye not that the testimony of two nations, this is two nations testifying in the same thing. It's not the testimony of the Bible and the testimony of the Book of Mormon, the Book of Mormon proceeds, it's already come. It's the testimony of the restored words of the Jews. Two, testimony of two nations is a witness unto that I am God, that I remember one nation like unto another, wherefore I speak the same words. It will all be the same, but it will be the pure form of it. It won't be a whole different people bunch of Nephites and Lamanites no it's going to be the restored um, Jewish history wherefore I speak the same words unto one nation like unto another and when the two nations shall run together the testimony of two nations shall run together and this I do that I may prove unto many that I am the same yesterday today and forever and that I speak forth my words these are his words these are Nephi's according to my own pleasure And because I have spoken one word, you need not suppose that I cannot speak another. For my work is not finished, neither shall it be unto the end. Um, And then it goes into 10. Wherefore, because that ye have a Bible. How many times has he said this? He said this quite a few times, and he's talking to us. Because ye have a Bible, you need not suppose that it contains all my words. Neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. For I command all men. And now this is where we're going to get into more books that they shall from the East and the West, North and South. And I speak unto them for out of the books, which I shall be written. I will judge the world, every man, according to their works, according to that, which they have written. Okay. So Nephi 29 goes into who it is, what's coming forward, what the scriptures is, how the Gentiles today are going to react. And we know the time frame not only because he said in the last days, and he said at that time, But because of Isaiah and where Isaiah puts the time frame. So the Nephites shall write it. Oh, okay. So right here at the end of 12, it says, behold, I shall speak unto the Jews. So There's one and they shall write it. And I'll speak unto the Nephites and they shall write it. And I shall speak unto the other tribes of the house of Israel and they shall write it. And which I've led away and they shall, let's see. And they shall write it, led away. And I'll speak unto all nations of the earth. So at least four different groups we've got here. Okay. And it shall kind of pass that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews and the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel. The lost tribe of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews and it shall kind of pass that my people which are of the house of Israel shall be gathered home into the lands of possessions. So when it says gathered home, that's an Isaiah again. When this happens that everybody has their words, that's after everything's happened and these are the remnant that are gathered home. They're all gathered home because they all have the truth to the lands of their possessions. And my word also shall gathered in one. And I will show unto them that fight against my word, my people, the house of Israel, that I am God. And covenant with Abraham. And that goes right into 30. Don't stop. And now behold, my beloved brethren, I would speak unto you, for I Nephi would suffer that you suppose that you're more righteous than the Gentiles. Cause he's just said a lot of bad stuff about the Gentiles. Cause let's be honest, we're not doing too hot right now with all the truth that we have. He's like, shall um for behold, except ye shall keep the commandments of God, ye shall all likewise perish, because the words which have been spoken, ye need not suppose that the Gentiles are utterly destroyed. So he says they will be destroyed, though, almost completely, but not completely, just a little bit will remain. Okay, so once again, he's put a time frame on this, and he's told us the Gentiles, we're almost all gonna be completely destroyed. For behold, I say unto you that many of the Gentiles will repent and will basically become the covenant people of the Lord. And now I will prophesy somewhat more concerning the Jews and the Gentiles. So he's prophesied, he explained it, now he's going to prophesy a little bit more. After the book which I have spoken shall come forth and be written unto the Gentiles and sealed up again unto the Lord, there shall many which shall believe the words which are written and they shall carry them forth unto the remnant of our seed. I really want you to think about this because if this is the Book of Mormon, then we should see what happens when it gets carried forth to the seed. This doesn't happen. That's why we've got to get rid of our paradigms and we've got to get rid of our traditions and we've got to be willing to look at the scriptures and have the Lord guide us and be be completely willing to accept. So the remnant of our seed concerning us, how that we came out from Jerusalem and that we're descendants of the Jews. And the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them, wherefore they shall be restored to the knowledge of their fathers and also to the knowledge of Christ just had among their fathers and then shall they rejoice for they shall know that it is a blessing unto them from the hand of God and their scales of darkness shall fall from their eyes and many generations shall not pass away and there shall be a delightsome people so that that hasn't happened in general um it, depending on who you consider to be the house of Israel but you could go to South America you could go um to the Cherokee tribes this mass understanding and and scales it hasn't happened this because the words he's saying are connecting to prophecy in isaiah that happens during the chaos during the, the complete destruction of everything um the people all being humbled then these things are coming forward and people are being converted because for the first time everybody's attention is on something they're like well what's going on the entire world was just flipped upside down now you've got people's attention now words are coming forward. You've got the book of Mormon that's already preceded. And now you've got the Lord, uh, Christ words that are hissing forth. Okay. When it gets to these people in mass, they all rejoice. Okay. And it shall come to pass the Jews, which are scattered also shall begin to believe in Christ. I have not seen that, um, and they shall begin to gather in upon the face of the land as many as shall believe in Christ shall also become a delightsome people So this hasn't happened and this but it's not just the way it's read you have to connect this back to Isaiah where Isaiah is saying when this these things ha- occur and shall come to pass of so the Lord will commence his work among all nations so his work has didn't commence fully um, people think his work happened 200 years ago no it was the beginning of some things 200 years ago but things really pick up. When this happens, when when the true the Jews and the true um, covenant people finally start believing in Christ, that's when the work truly commences. It should kind of pass the Lord will commence His work among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people to bring about the restoration of His people upon the earth. And with righteousness shall the Lord judge. Righteousness in Isaiah's um, explanations is the Davidic servant. Con, all throughout it, He talks about. The the servant of righteousness, the the arm of righteousness, Christ says, my righteousness will judge. My righteousness will do this, do that. It's the Davidic servant. Okay, So the Davidic servant shall, Lord God, um, judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall the slay the wicked. The rod of his mouth and the breath of his lips is the Assyrian, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Once again, reading through Isaiah this much, you will see those words. You'll see rod, you'll see mouth. You'll know instantly Nephi is quoting Isaiah again. Nephi is using the words of Isaiah. Remember, Nephi said five or six times, I delight in the words of Isaiah. I I prophesy the words of Isaiah. I love the words of Isaiah. I love to study the words of Isaiah. So he's constantly explaining things and inundating all of his information with the same words Isaiah used. Specifically the rod of the mouth and the breath of the lips is the king of Assyria, King of Babylon, who comes in and destroys the destroys everything. So that the Lord is going to use that to smite. So that's the left hand. That's the hand that comes in and destroys. For the time speedily cometh that the Lord God shall cause a great division among the people, and the wicked he will destroy. See, now he's supporting supporting that. And he will spare his people, even if it so be that he must destroy the people's righteousness. Um and the cow and the bear shall lie down. So, And then it goes into what happens in Zion. So after these things happen, then the destruction, and then you've got Zion. None of this has happened. So this hasn't happened yet. So I don't know how we can take this book going forth and all these things occurring as meaning the Book of Mormon because it's not. The Book of Mormon already preceded. This book that it's talking about is a completely different book. Okay, um, so that ends... 29 8, 28, 29 30 which come which um together make chapter 12 okay so now we're going to go real quick and there's so much more i know we're so late so i'll i'm going to try and tie this together and give you my point we're going to go to 35 2023. 20, so this is christ talking let me find it in my online scriptures 3rd Nephi 20. Okay, you chapters 20 through 23. I'm gonna go through it super, super fast, but you can't just go right to 23 because you have to understand everything before. Remember, these aren't the original chapters. This was all one. Um, Pratt broke this all up. So it looks like Jesus is talking about all these things. No, he's talking about the same thing. You have to read it in the original context to really understand what's being said. So you gotta go to 3rd Nephi 20. When the words of Isaiah shall be fulfilled, behold, they are written, ye have them before you, therefore search them. So Christ is saying, you need to be searching Isaiah. You need to know that this is going to be fulfilled. You have them before you. Why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you studying them? Verily, I say to you, shall be fulfilled. Then is the fulfilling of the covenant with the Father, which he hath made into his people. The covenant of the Father, to the people is that they'll all be brought back that he will save them and bring them back after this great destruction so when when everything isaiah is saying is fulfilled that's when this promise this great marvelous work is going to occur and then shall the remnants which have been scattered abroad come back remember the remnants are those little bits of people who are left after this great destruction happened they shall be brought to the knowledge of their god and be redeemed And then it goes to 15. He says, I say unto you that if the Gentiles do not repent after the blessing which they receive, they shall be scattered by my people. Say it says right there, the Gentiles get the blessing. The blessing is the Book of Mormon. They have the pure doctrine of Christ because it's the calling of the Gentiles to receive the pure doctrine of Christ, to be truly converted. And then they hear the voice of the Lord and they're able to teach the true doctrine of Christ, follow, know who the true Davidic servant is, know to follow him and fulfill their mission with helping Israel and teaching. But it says if they do not repent after receiving this blessing, they will be scattered. And we are scattered. We know in Isaiah that we're completely scattered. And then shall they who are a member of the house of Jacob. So Jacob, Israel category. Not a good category, but they who are a remnant of the house of Jacob go forth amongst them, and they shall be in the midst of them who shall be many, and they shall be among them as a lion and beast of the forest, and young lion and flocks and sheep, and they'll go through and tread them down. We know that that happens. The king of Assyria, king of Babylon, does that. So we don't repent, and the majority of us are killed or destroyed. And should we lift it should be lift up in nine adversaries, I'll make my people from the fatherhood come into it. I'll make thy let's See, sorry, I'm going to go down to twenty-two. It's um, 35 21 and it shall come to pass that i will establish my people a house of israel 22 and behold this people will i establish in this land unto the fulfilling of the covenant which i have made with your father jacob and it shall be a new jerusalem so this is after the destruction because no people are here because everything's destroyed and in a new jerusalem and all the powers of heaven shall be in the midst of the people yea even i will be in the midst of you so this is zion now So we're going to scroll down a little bit to third Nephi, um, 20, 27. Um, blessedly fulfill the father covenants, which I made with Abraham, um, unto the pouring out of the Holy ghost from me upon the Gentiles, which blessing upon the Gentiles shall make them mighty above all unto the scattering of my people house of Israel. And they shall be a scourge unto the people of the land. Nevertheless, when they shall have received the fullness of my gospel, the Gentiles, when we've received the fullness of the gospel, then if they shall harden their hearts against me. Okay, so that means the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, has been restored. Christ Himself is saying this: when we have received the fullness of the gospel and harden our hearts, I will turn their iniquities upon their own heads, saith the Father. And I will remember the covenant which I've made with my people, and I've covenanted with them that I'd remember them and gather them in in my own due time and in their lands of their father's inheritance in the land of Jerusalem and this promised land forever. So again, we're told the Gentiles who receive the fullness will be scattered. Christ is making it very simple. And he's going to go through and quote Isaiah again. Um, And it shall come to pass in that time when the fullness of my gospel shall be preached unto them. And they shall believe in me that I am Jesus Christ, the son of God, and shall pray unto the father, my name, then shall their watchmen lift up their voice. So this is Isaiah. Um, then shall they sing, for they shall see eye to eye. Then will the father gather together again. So this is the great marvelous work when he comes through and they do this, when the the true books go forward that the testify. They shall break forth into singing, see together ye waste places. The father will make bare his holy arm. This is 35, um, to the ends of the earth in salvation of the Father and I. So it goes through and it he's explaining, and now Christ is going to go into Isaiah again and be brought to pass which is written. So as these things happen, he's saying, what is written, Isaiah wrote it, awake, awake, and put on my garments, O Zion, put on the beautiful garments of the holy city, you captive daughters of Zion, because Zion's going to be captured, I mean, the covenant people who are truly repentant are going to come under bondage, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, and then king of Assyria, um, Christ is going to come in and save them, so they're going to be captive daughters, but they've been repentant, so they're going to be saved, how beautiful upon the mountains, and he goes into that, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall exalt to be extolled in the very high. This is um, 43. Um, so this is the servant. He's talking about the Davidic servant. This is Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah. So he says, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many as were astonished at the, his vicious visage was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. Um, that's what's going to happen to the servant. He'll be marred. This covenant which the Father hath covenanted with the people is fulfilled. Um, then I will give unto you a sign. So now Christ is saying in 21, I'll give unto you a sign that you may know time when these things are about to take place. I'm almost done, you guys. I'm really sorry. Um, this is a sign Christ is going to give us when these things are about to take place. So, house of Israel shall be established again. He says, Behold, this is the thing which I give unto you for a sign. When these things which I declare unto you, which I shall declare unto the hereafter of myself, by the glory of the Holy Ghost which I shall be given unto you and the Father, shall be made known unto the Gentiles, that they may know concerning this people who are a remnant of the house of Jacob, and also concerning this my people who shall be scattered. So this isn't this um this is Isaiah's prophecies and Book of Mormon. Verily, really, I say unto you, when these things shall be made known unto them of the Father, and shall come forth of the Father from them unto you, a remnant of your seed, and the, that the covenant of the Father may be fulfilled, which he hath covenanted with his people, house of Israel. Therefore, when these works, the works which shall be wrought among you hereafter, shall come forth from the Gentiles unto your seed, which shall do in unbelief because of iniquity, thus it behoveth the Father that it should come forth from the Gentiles, that he may show forth his power unto the Gentiles. For this cause the Gentiles that they, they will not harden their hearts, that they may repent. They may come unto me and be baptized in my name and know my true points of my doctrine. That goes back to, to 31 in the Book of Mormon. The true points of the doctrine. will come to know the true points of the doctrine. And this is the last part here in, in 35. And behold, to them there shall come among them those who will not believe it. Although a man, remember it says a man, that's the Davidic servant. Although a man shall declare it unto them, they won't believe it. Christ is saying this again, but behold, the life of my servant shall be in my hand. Therefore, they shall not hurt him. Although he shall be marred because of them, yet he will heal them. And I will show unto them that my wisdom is greater than that of the coming of the devil. Joseph Smith, the first time, didn't live. This time, when these words that are going to come forth that he's going to bring forth, he will be marred, but he will live. And he's the one that's going to translate and bring forth the words that are going to hiss of the father. So I'm not going to go into any more. There's so much more that supports this, but I'm already two hours, you guys. So I'm so sorry, but you got to go all the way through 22 and then go into 24. And it goes that these things must need to speak to the Gentiles for they have been and shall be even according to the words which he spake. So all of this is going to happen. You connect it with Isaiah. Isaiah tells the time timeframe when one of these things are going to happen. But to, to ram this home, and I'm not even, I'm so sorry, I'm not even, I still have like a whole bunch more, but I'll stop. Um, what did Moroni say to Joseph Smith when he appeared to him? Do you guys remember what he quoted? You're gonna, minds are gonna be blown. He quotes the shoot that springs up from the stock of Jesse, he quotes Isaiah 11. Why is he quoting Isaiah 11? Isaiah 11 is all about the Davidic servant. It's all about the servant who comes and the church is dead. So it's the shoot and the stock and the branch, the tree's dead. It's not bringing forth good fruit. So this, this sprig comes forward, this branch comes forward and it saves everything. Moroni is quoting this to Joseph Smith and explaining this to Joseph Smith, what his role is going to be. His role as, um, as the, the end day Davidic servant is going to be not just to bring forth some of His Word, but to retranslate and bring forth all of the Word that's going to come forth from Heavenly Father or and Jesus Christ in the retranslation of the Bible. And when that happens, the people in that day who already have a Bible are going to be like, "What? We don't need that. We, and you're not even you're not even a servant. You're not even someone that we need to know anything about." And then Christ tells you, "They're going to attack him. They're going to mar him. They're going to hurt him." but I'm going to protect him this time. He's going to be fine. And he's going to be the one that leads everything in this grand exodus. So a lot of this probably sounded really crazy and really all over the place. But the reality is if you go in and study Isaiah, it's very plain. It's very clear. The words that Nephi uses, the things that he says and teaches about are so simple. And Nephi uses the same things as Isaiah to get at home the same points. The way that we've been studying second Nephi has been completely wrong. And even to make a, to just say, this is hilarious. Chapter 13 of the original book of Mormon, um, after all the chapters are broken up, it's, it becomes chapter 31. It's switched. Isn't that symbolic? Because chapter 31 of our modern book of Mormon is where it lays out the doctrine of Christ. And that's what Nephi does after he does all of this Isaiah stuff, after he gives his own prophecy to us of books that are going to come forward that we're not going to accept, then he gives us the doctrine of Christ. He's like, you're all going to be destroyed if you don't get this. And he lays out the doctrine of Christ so clearly, which I can't go into, and you guys already know it. But isn't it interesting that the original book was 13, and the book today is 31, and it's backwards. It's been flipped. I, I tend to think the Lord just puts this stuff in there, just to give you a little bit of a how crazy everything is. But I want to bear my testimony that when we're obedient, we're willing to seek and knock and learn and let go of our our previous notions, let go of our previous understandings, um, and accept truth on whatever level it is, that the Lord will take away our false traditions, things I've been taught my whole life about what these scriptures mean, and he will show you, he will show me, what they really mean. I, I prayed so many times and I said, Heavenly Father, I know you can show this to me. Isaiah wrote this. Will you let Isaiah teach me? Will you let him inspire me? Nephi wanted me to know this. He's writing to me. This is for me. Please open my mind and let Nephi teach me. Have faith that when you seek and knock, he will give you the truth. He will give you understanding. And tell me you, if you study this yourself, there's so much more I couldn't go into that prove these points you have to study it all in the context that Nephi had it and you have to study it with Isaiah. And I testify that as we're obedient to the commandments of Christ and studying these things, the scriptures will be open to us, our work and the the things that lay ahead will be made clear and we'll have a greater hope in Christ and, and the roles that we play that we'll be able to endure it. And we'll be able to sing all together one day as we enter Zion and it's going to be a glorious day. And I say these things in the name of my Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Mm -hmm.